Hey, good morning, everybody. Jack Mancini here. I'm here with my long-standing partner. That's partner in business. That's what kind of partner he is. <laughs> We've been here forever. Uh, but we're, we're maximum value partners. We're business coaches. And where we get our materials from our coaching. So we meet with uh, different people, small business owners, and we define small as two million in sales. Usually, that's our sweet spot. That's that's where we like to uh, uh, hang out. You know, two million in sales from twenty-five to one person. But we go off that grid often. Get bigger companies usually. Not too many one one person uh, clients, but that's what we do. We pull our stories from our coaching experience. We pull them and we make them into a podcast. And that that podcast is basically what we do now. We started out with radio and we ditched radio just in favor of podcasts. They're a lot more fun and they, they suit us better. And our clients, uh, those who are on, uh, we, we, select, we select the best of the best. We try to get the ones who have been successful defined as running a profitable company and, and selling it, you know, you can sell it and you sell it at a nice profit, things go well. So that's what we do. We are business coaches and we bring guests on again, former clients that have been successful and interesting people. As we get used to this, we have how many Adam? 350? This is episode 391, Jack. 391. Good Lord. Yeah. Uh, so we, we have a, a very interesting guest today. He is, uh, I'm going to let Adam, Adam introduce him. But he, <laughs> okay. he's, a, he's a guy who makes these things worthwhile. We, we don't know where he's going to go with us today, but uh, wherever it is, we'll take him. So That's right. Uh, you know, Adam, I'm, out, I'm outnumbered again. Yeah, I'm outnumbered again. Yeah, I got two St. Ed's guys here with, with an Ignatius guy. I'll try to hold my own against you two guys. But uh, and, and don't forget it. Don't forget <laughs> I it. Won't, I, you guys don't <laughs> let me forget it. That's all right. So we want to welcome to the show, Jeremy Orski. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, guys. All right. So Jeremy, uh, Jeremy was a client of ours for about eight years. And we had a lot of fun with Jeremy. We had a lot of growth. And Jeremy's here to kind of share his story about how he grew um, uh, from buying his first shop and, and grew the business by buying other shops and, and growing those shops as well, where he had a significant uh, increase in growth in less than 10 years, he was able to then also exit the business. So as we're talking to Jeremy today, Jeremy's about two years removed from selling his business. And so he's had some time to kind of reflect upon that. And he's been gracious enough to kind of join us today to be able to share some of his story. And we're glad he's here because he couldn't have joined us on the air on the radio because Jeremy's very colorful the way he explains things. He always does it in a very entertaining way, usually as well. So uh, we wanted to make sure that we could let Jeremy just kind of be Jeremy today. So uh, Jeremy, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you on the show. We, we'd like to get you started. with uh, Just give our audience a little bit of a background in terms of kind of kind of where you grew up, kind of some of your, your younger years, kind of getting to the point, as we said, you know, before we got in the air here, we're going to kind of take you up to the point where, where we met you about 10 years ago. That was our breakfast of Bob Evans with you. But before we get to that, kind of give people a little bit of background, kind of you know, who's Jeremy all about? How did you kind of, you know, grow up and kind of, you know, uh, some of those formative years and, and so, some of those key things before we get into the business side of stuff, Jeremy? All right. Thanks, Adam. Um, I grew up in Parma, Ohio. I um, was involved with a lot of sports. It was friends, family, you know, were big sports fans that played football. I don't know, fifth grade, maybe fifth, sixth. 
I don't even know. Pretty much my whole youth, I played football. I got into wrestling uh, because the a lot of the football players wrestle just to kind of stay in shape during the winter months and stuff like that. So I ended up wrestling. I actually hated wrestling because I was a heavyweight and I was in fifth grade wrestling eighth graders and, you know, stuff like that. So it was pretty tough to just know you were going to go in on a Sunday and get killed by a guy that was, you know, had a mustache. So <laughs> I remember my grandfather, you know, my dad going, Oh shit, these, you know, what the hell these kids look like they could be the dads you know so anyways i wrestled heavyweight i got my ass kicked you know which is tough when you're young you know when you're walking into getting you know going into the slaughter but i stuck it out i didn't really like it and then i ended up you know starting to like wrestling just because i really don't like the sun um i hate being out in the sun and football you know it's a winter or a fall sport but it starts in the summer so I kind of levitated towards wrestling and I had some success with that. I went to St. Ed's, went through that program. I played football and wrestled at Ed's. I played football through my junior year. Um, I ended up doing well with the state tournament. My junior year, I took second. And then I um, kind of decided to focus more on wrestling. With And I had signed a national letter of intent early to go to college. And it was one of those things that it was suggested by the college coaches. Hey, you know, you, you're you signed early um kids are kind of assholes you know you playing football really isn't your future so <laughs> you know we would maybe suggest you focus on the wrestling which i did and again i had a good senior year so undefeated going into the state finals and then i unfortunately lost again to the same kid i lost to my junior year but you know whatever um and then after ever the see, you ever see him again did you ever meet him again? Uh, yeah, I, well, he's still involved with, like, high school wrestling, and I actually met with one of my old coaches, and uh, he said he's – and he is. He's a good guy, nice guy. He coaches, you know, wrestling, and I think he had went on to college, played sports, and then um, I think he did a small stint in the NFL. So it wasn't like this kid was some stiff, obviously. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he, he was a nice guy, and he's still heavily involved with, like, youth wrestling, you know, high school wrestling. Um, and we never, you know, never any bad blood. The guy was, you know, tough, you know, it was, that's the thing about wrestling. Like you could have like that mutual respect, you know what I'm saying? Like, even if you don't necessarily like the person, you'd know what they went through. So I went on to college. I wrestled a couple years in college. I had some head injuries that kind of put a damper on that. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I had always been around the auto body industry because my dad was a my dad was an auto body man and then my mom actually sold the paint to the body shop so you know my whole family you know my parents and myself were always had like an interest and then you know my brother kind of went a different route and then my sister ultimately ended up coming she went into like dental through high school and then came came to actually work for us you know and then we kind of got her up to speed on some of the office, you know, tasks and stuff like that. I know she had worked with you guys for probably a better part of a year. And um, she's still currently in the industry working for, you know, another auto body chain. But um, like with college, I, I didn't really know, you know, what I wanted to do. I just was on a scholarship and just kept taking classes and I was still involved with the wrestling. I just couldn't compete anymore. And then when I... 
did you get your degree in, Jeremy? I studied classical humanities and Latin in English. That's exactly what you expect. Everybody, everybody, <laughs> everybody picks that up, right? Yeah, well, you know, at, at first I thought maybe I'd go into teaching because of the coaching aspect of it. And then when I did some student teaching, I realized that I probably wouldn't have the uh, patience to deal with kids or parents or <laughs> this school administration, you know, <laughs> and, and I'd always, you know, still just kind of hovered around the auto body shops, even in college in the summers, I worked at a shop at Streetsboro because I went to Kent state. And then I um, worked at a shop in Talmadge and, you know, I always just kind of stayed close to the auto body industry. You know, I had some knowledge and, you know, for being, you know, a younger person, it was better than working like, you know, at a minimum wage type job because, there's decent money in it, especially because of, you know, having the experience working in shops since I was little with my dad over the summers and, you know, doing jobs here and there and, you know, helping friends out and stuff like that. So I had the experience. So once I was, you know, through college, I went into the auto body industry. I went and worked for a couple of different bigger shops and kind of seen how things operated. And I you know, always thought, you know, Hey, these guys are, I don't hate to say it like this, but I always thought, man, there's, there's got to be a better way to do this. These guys really aren't the sharpest guys. They're just kind of doing it how they've always done it. Never really, they haven't figured it out, you know, as far as how to be efficient and how to actually try to run it like a business. So I'd always had that at the back of my mind. And when I met my wife, um, I told her that was one of the first things we talked about, like, you know, on one of our first dates was that would be my goal was to actually have a shop one day. <laughs> Such a romantic, right? Talking about, talking yeah. about, talking about well, I was, I remember I was working, <laughs> on, yeah, I was working on a car, even, you know, I just, I remember it wasn't a car. It was a motorcycle. I painted like some motorcycle parts and my dad was helping me because they're small parts. So somebody has to hold them while you like finish the, you know, buffing them or whatever. So I remember telling my dad, you know, Hey, I'm going to go out with this girl. She's got her own place. She went to college, you know, he's like, Oh, better not fuck this up you know so <laughs> <laughs> encouragement right thanks dad <laughs> yeah he, he was a, a man of few words when it came to that kind of stuff he wasn't a you know a very romantic fella so and anyway point. yeah <laughs> yeah so you know we went out and kind of just talked about her job and talked about mine you know i was working in a shop and it was post-college and stuff like that so with you know working in the shops it was really that's what you talk, i guess that's what you talk about on first dates what else you know we went to school here did this did this now we're doing this so we kind of talked about that and i think you know i don't think she thought it was going to go anywhere and you know she probably just figured oh man free dinner you know whatever <laughs> but um and then uh you know i told her at that point that's kind of what was my plan but i didn't actually in my mind, I didn't really have a timeline. I always thought, you know, late thirties, early forties, maybe I'd have an opportunity to buy a shop and then go from there. And then it just kind of worked for a couple bigger shops, um, worked for a couple smaller shops, went and had the chance to work for a guy that my dad had worked for for years. And my dad had told me, you know, over the years working in the shops, he always felt like the bigger shops were sometimes not as, advantageous you know he said they've got little guys are better you know you got a little more flexibility and you're still doing the same thing so I had the opportunity to go work for a, an individual that you know my dad had worked for had a good experience some things happened just like they always do you know when you're you know when my dad was younger just grass is not always greener type situation 
And he said it was, you know, regret leaving there. So I had the chance to go back to work for the guy and I'd work for him for, I don't know, a couple, three years, maybe something like that. And then, you know, I had the chance to buy the shop um, from him and uh, we kind of worked through it, not really knowing anything, you know, obviously there, you got to get attorneys involved and, you know, all this other crap that I had no idea about and kind of went from there. So in April of um, 2010, we bought our first shop and it was, I think April 4th might've been that Monday in 2010, somewhere in around there, we started, it was me and another guy and just kind of took off from there. Excellent. All right. That's, that's okay. So that's, that's a lot of good stuff. So, so you, you'd always had kind of that idea. You said you mentioned on your first date, so you're talking about dreams and kind of, you know, what do you want to do? Okay. Hey, I'm just not looking to, you know, to, to be a body guy or a paint guy, you know, I have bigger kind of bigger aspirations. And so you had seen a handful of different shops, like you were saying, big, small, and you know, every, you know, but every time you're kind of there, you got your eyes open. You're trying to figure out, okay, who's got it, who's got to figure it out. Who's doing things the right way. Um, you know, you're, your mind's pretty systematic. I, I think you, you, as we talked over the years, you talked about, Hey, if somebody knows how to do stuff, you know, I'd rather kind of get it down and, and make it happen. And, you, and you're very kind of system systematic. Have you always been that way or that's something you kind of learned through, through time or, you know, but the idea of trying to create a system that's going to work and, and, and make it repeatable. You know, what, were you seeing some of those things as, as you were kind of going at those different shops or is that something that you saw as an opportunity for? Well, yeah, stuff? because I, I always looked at, I always kind of understood that the consistency that, you know, people eat McDonald's, even though it's shitty food, they they eat it knowing what to expect, you know, so the consistency there, whether it's good or bad, it's at least consistent. And then you could make adjustments as long as there's consistency. And I just seen shop owners just not having any type of SOPs or any type of anytime there was a problem, it was always self-inflicted by just trying to game the system or cut corners and stuff like that. It was just seemed to be like a theme. Um, a lot of the owners, you know, ran their businesses like lifestyle businesses. And I think the auto body industry as a whole, that's kind of what it was. There was, you know, tons of cash going on in, in the early days. And, you know, it, it was just like, just no, there was just no consistency between what was being done. So that was for us, the thing that I recognized was I thought there was always kind of a better way there to process things through the box. And, and that was kind of where I came up with, you know, I'm just sick of working for people that I think are like dumber than me. You know, I'm not saying I'm the smartest guy in the room. I'm just saying that these guys, they, they, you know, even when I was in my twenties, I'd see these guys make these mistakes. And it's like, man, if you would have just done this, like you did on the last job, it's like, look at what you had success doing and just try to emulate that. But these guys could never figure that out. <laughs> they would just think it was by luck, you know, and it wasn't, it was just that they just couldn't figure it out. And I think again, you know, recognizing that and, you know, thinking back and, you know, when I sold the business, I had boxes and papers and old SOPs that were handwritten that Teresa typed out. Like pretty much from like day one, you know, we were really, that was the one thing we tried to do was um, just bring some consistency to the experience, whether it was cleaning the car, processing the front end paperwork, getting the customer in, you know, stuff like that. So I think that's the one thing I learned from working in all the different shops was just, there was no, just no, no continuity between the process and, and the systems that needed to have, you know, 
the same thing. I, I remember when I first met you, you had these lists of, of things that, that go on in a body shop. <laughs> and that list was about five pages, it seems, maybe more. Good stuff. I mean, if you get all this stuff in place, your company spins like a top. Has to, you know? Yeah. And, and you respect that from the get-go. It was cool. Yeah, that was one of the things I think we did really well. And, you know, when we started getting bigger, you know, getting into partnerships with insurance companies, you know, you're you're submitted to you know, completion dates and stuff like that. And, you know, you got to hit them or it's going to affect the ability to get more work and it affects your credibility with the carriers. So, you know, you have to have, you know, the predict the predictable results to, to make these promises. And, and obviously there's a little bit of leeway, but they still want you hitting 90% or better on all this stuff, you know? So, right. you know, it's kind of a, it was important for us to understand that and, and it was when we were smaller, it was definitely easier to implement. But once we seen that we were able to apply those things in a smaller environment with, you know, four five, six employees, you know, our thought was, well, why can't we do this somewhere else? And right. then that was kind of, you know, that was kind of how we looked at possible expansion. And then we were being told by our insurance partners, hey, you know, you guys are doing some stuff that, you know, some other shops might not be doing as well. And there's definitely some more opportunity in different markets if if that was ever something you decided you wanted to do. So let's let's hold on to that for a second because uh, I want to go back to, your, to to you buying the company, the, the first company, because it, it's a big deal for most people, right? It, I, I know it was a big deal, and so as you described very well your family history, you know, I hadn't really thought about, it, but you're right. Everybody except for your brother wound up in the industry at some point, right? And if he, he's yeah. still good at some point. Who, who knows? It's it, it's a long life, but uh, so yeah, that the growing up piece plus working at a half dozen shops, so. And you had that you had that thought in your mind. And so we've talked to people about the whole idea of having a vision and kind of, you know, what are you looking to do? That you eventually thought you'd be a shop owner. You said, hey, maybe maybe kind of maybe in my late 30s, maybe in my 40s. But something happened where here you are at 30 years old, right? When, when you bought the first shop. And so, okay, so was it just the frustration of of seeing a bunch of bozos that you're working for? Say, hey, you know what, I can do things better and, and just get out of my way. Let, let me kind of do stuff. What was and talk about some of the some of the emotion too, because it wasn't like you had a pile of cash sitting back here that you, you come in and talk, you know, so, so, so talk about just kind of that whole process of, you know, what was it like? So sitting down with Teresa to talk about this, cause you know, here she is working somewhere else, right? Cause she was working, working with you at that point. She was, she had a, she had, she had her full-time gig, but talk about just that kind of that emotion and something you've been dreaming about since you were a kid where, Hey, we're fine at the point. Hey, this, this thing might actually happen. So, you know, was it a no brainer piece of cake? You lose sleep over, you know, you know, were there battles amongst the family to talk a little bit about kind of what, what that first, purchase was like jeremy all right so it, honestly it, getting my wife on board was easier than than anybody or you guys might think or most people because you know my father-in-law had some opportunities when he was younger to partner with some guys that um that currently still have successful businesses my father-in-law's past but my mother-in-law you know kind of was her you know i have no risk aversion filter i think she has the complete opposite that my mother-in-law that is so my wife watched my mother-in-law kind of squash my father-in-law's dreams and we had taken a road trip to michigan and it was about a four-hour ride and it was four straight hours of basically hearing why you know my father-in-law was resentful of his of his wife and i think my wife growing up like witnessing that was hugely helpful and it benefited me when i said hey you know, here's this opportunity. 
you know, my old boss was looking to expand, but he had a mechanical background. So he had bought a mechanical shop in Broadview Heights. And then the shop on Brook Park was mechanical and body. And when I first started there, you know, it was like kind of like a beta test almost. It's like we were doing like 80% mechanical, 20% body. And as the years went by, it kind of switched. So I was able to kind of take that information and tell my wife, Teresa, I'm like, hey, you know, we've grown this, you know, me and the other guy that ended up, you know, what ended up being like the first employee. And then another guy that was with me there who had left that we brought back. So the three of us essentially took this, this shop that we would technically couldn't make any real major decisions and, and turned it into, you know, 80% auto body versus the 20% mechanical. So, so kind of had, so again, m- convincing my wife that this was a good idea was kind of easy because we had already shown her, Hey, this was, we could do this. Not being in charge. This is what we can do. Imagine what we can do when we're in charge kind of thing. Right. right? Exactly. Okay. All right. And we had, you know, a lot of just restraints because we couldn't, you know, spend our boss's money on, on certain things that I thought were important, you know, making, you know, you don't have to have an extravagant office, but it could be paint, you know, paint and elbow grease is pretty cheap, you know, and that's the stuff that we just aesthetic things and just, you know, just being more timely with the customers and, and just being more engaged, you know, some of that stuff that um, we had limited control over, but once we were able to kind of, once he then got that other location, we had a little bit more autonomy in doing that stuff. And that's part of the reason we grew. So again, that was easy for us to say, Hey, we've done it already. If we could get, if we could take full control of this, we could definitely take this to a next level. And again, it was easy for you know me to convince her. She and the and the other thing was I could personally do enough work to cover the nut. It wasn't a huge expense. I mean, at the time it seemed like a ton of money, but between the payment and the rent and, and the utilities, it, it you know, it wasn't an exorbitant amount of work that had to be done to to meet our obligations. So that was a you know, that was short-lived, obviously. Right. with the growth or whatever but that was all you know again this is exercising the stuff that i had to go through all these years you know 10 plus years ago 12 years ago with my wife 13 or whatever now but convincing her but it, it was pretty easy like i said a lot of it i could attribute to my mother-in-law and my father-in-law relationship and 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 he had a lot of business opportunities that he had to pass on and then um you know my wife didn't want to relive you know, it's like that. What, what, what would Jesus do? And then just do the opposite. I think that's what she would always just kind of ask herself. What What would my parents do? I think I'm going to go ahead and do the opposite. I didn't really like. You know, sometimes their relationship was a little strained because of some of that stuff. So that's that was part of her attraction to you. You know, you know, she saw you as being just very different, maybe from what, from what she'd kind of grown up around and seen. So, so when you were so you when you when you took this thing over, if I recall, is doing maybe a quarter million in sales, maybe three hundred thousand sales. That sound about right, Jeremy? Something like that, or not even that much. No, no, not even that much. I think that's okay. kind of what we like did our first year. Okay. So, so yeah, so so it's in a couple of thousand. Let's people a little perspective. A couple of thousand dollars, and so you, you went to the guy who owned it, and you cut a deal with him where he kind of played the bank for you guys. Or, you know, so you you paid him every month, kind of thing, or you know, how'd that deal kind of work out? Just just broad strokes. You don't even give detail. But uh, he wanted he wanted an amount, and you know, I didn't have opposition because I didn't know how you'd value a business. I didn't know any of that crap. You know, I just was like that just seems like a lot. And I know anybody selling something's obviously going to want more than, than the person that's trying to buy it. So it, 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 you know, he wanted X 
And then, you know, again, looking at what I, you know, if I try to think back to how I looked at things back then, I said, well, I didn't really understand assets. I didn't, I didn't understand any of that crap, you know? So I'm like, well, and then I learned all well, assets are shit that you would otherwise have to buy, but I'm, so I'm getting this. So there's some, <clears throat> there's some value in, 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 in buying a business that already has this infrastructure in place to some level. And I was, I worked for the guy during that period. So I kind of got to see some of that stuff get put in place, but you know, so I, I started, you know, justifying in my head, well, okay, well, this is an existing business. We could hit the ground running. This is in place. This is in place. This is in place. We could technically start making money or attempting to make money right away versus, you know, like a restaurant's going to take, a, you're going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars doing a build out before you sell a single meal. We were able to hit the ground running. We had work scheduled the first week we took over. <clears throat> but anyways, so as far as the valuation, I think, man, I don't even remember how it officially went. I think it was just because he wanted this. And then when we came to a term, you know, it was probably looking back on it more than what we should have paid. But that might, as you guys could attest, I never looked at, I guess I didn't care how much the stuff cost. I just looked at what I could do with, with the box. You know, I didn't care. Right. You know, I probably overpaid for a couple of the businesses because I wasn't concerned. These people were selling because they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. Right. <laughs> I mean, bottom line. So it's like, I'm just looking at the vehicle, not, not necessarily what they were currently doing. And I know, you know, I know, I think Jack over the years sometimes had issues with that, but again, <laughs> I, I didn't care. I'm like, I don't care what this fool's doing. This guy's going on vacations and buying all this, you know, crazy shit and the absentee owner and bitch and he can't make no money you know right. so i i didn't really so we came to an agreement and yeah we gave him a a down payment um and then he held the note it might have been three years i don't i don't know but at the time it seemed like a lot but looking back on it jesus christ i think we paid more in cell phones at that end <laughs> than we paid. you know that's all, right. all right though that's all right you know, with the deal that was at hand, you know, and the experiences there, that was that obviously turned out to be a good deal. So yeah, well, and so, and so you could spot opportunity. So that's, I think that's one of the themes that that we want to kind of hit on here, Jeremy, because you've always been very good at that in terms of being able to kind of spot opportunities like that. So as you talk about this, and and chances are, because I remember, you know, while when we first met you, I can't imagine what it was like three years before when you first bought it, but you know, as you described a little paint and elbow grease, I mean, the, the, the shop was a total mess, right? I mean, you know, it was just, Oh yeah. Somebody was... walking into it would have been like, you know, they probably want to get out faster. Right. And you're thinking you're going rubbing your hands. Going, okay, buddy, here's, I see some opportunity here. Right. So you can see through all the, all the nonsense, whether it be the physical, you know, mess or what you see with, with, with what these guys are doing just in terms of how they have processes or don't have, you know, lack thereof. And so, so you, and, and, and for those listening, you know, this is the key thing to keep in mind. You know, Jeremy was working for this company, right? So he knew what was there. He had a sense how how things were. And also, you mentioned the other guy. Is the other guy Ernie that you you're talking yeah. about? Okay. So so and Ernie's been a key guy. You know, was a key guy for you. You know, throughout this. And so you had a chance to kind of test drive what you guys could do. You know, on the prior owner's dollar and say, you know, you know, get this guy out of the way. So so you buy this thing, and pretty quickly. You were able to grow this thing over the first two or three years. You, you were quickly approaching a million bucks when when we first met you. Yeah, the first three years, and and you were struggling because the the space you had was so small that there really wasn't more that you could do with that. 
you know, you, you, right. you kind of, you'd kind of tapped out. And so when we had met, you know, we'll go back to that, that Bob Evans breakfast. So, so, so we had met through a, a mutual acquaintance of ours, uh, a, a good banker friend of both of ours. And <laughs> it was instant love, right? Yeah. I mean, no, yeah, uh, we, it was, it was us. And we, we, there was some other guy there who's, who has since disappeared, but uh, um, I remember th there was this good chemistry there. And um, I, I, I want to say it was maybe a week later. I remember being over at uh, Teresa's office, you know, because you know you said, "Hey, I feel good about these guys. You got to meet her, though." You know, we, we aren't doing anything until until we get her kind of sign offs. So remember meeting it in the little kitchenette there at at her office. The four of us kind of sit down and kind of talk, and her kind of listening. So okay, and I guess we made enough sense to her. She said, "Okay, Jeremy, you know, go ahead. You know, you know, go do what you got to do." And at the you know part of the reason I, that I recall why you were interested because you were trying to find a way to grow because you 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 have taken your your first business now, and everything you thought you'd be able to do, you did and probably faster than you know that's that's one of your keys too you you're not very patient you you want to get stuff done yesterday right, and uh, so as you're going through and looking to grow, one of the first things you did is you were looking at maybe just opening up a new shop that's something that you, you said you know let's go open a new shop and I can you know because you have enough knowledge of how you'd want to kind of build it out. So talk a little bit about, you don't need to mention names or cities like that, but talk a little bit about the process where you started to kind of look around and start to talk to people about opening a body shop. And how was that experience and how, how welcomed were you in the different, different towns and cities that you, uh, folks you were talking to, Jeremy? Uh, I mean, we could sum that up pretty quick. That it was, that was probably one of the dumbest decisions ever was to try to build a shop Greenfield. I mean, you know, nobody likes body shops. They're dirty. They pump VOCs into the environment. I mean, they're just, they're scrap cars. They're just had a negative stigma for years because of the stuff that went on. So we had, again, based on limited experience, thought it would be a great idea to, you know, open a shop from the ground up. And we thought we did everything right and met some complications. And, you know, then we started to realize, well, why would we do that? We bought a shop that was existing and we were able to quickly turn it around for us to do a greenfield build and deal with the permitting and the cities and, and the equipment and just coordinating all that, you know, we're going to bleed cash um, before we could even make any money. So, you know, that was a good learning experience. And I think that's the, one of the things, you know, my wife's always looked at, you know, bad experience, good experience. You could always learn something. I think we did. We learned quickly, Hey, it, opening up a shop from scratch probably wasn't the best idea. And with the industry and the average age of ownership, there was, it was right for the pickings, man. Like the average owner was in their early to mid sixties, you know, into prime retirement age. And again, these guys had been around in the golden ages of the auto body shops where the money was just crazy. The, the insurance companies weren't as involved in it. These guys made their money in the 80s and the 90s. And then, you know, we paid the price for their shenanigans later in life <laughs> with the documentation and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, we we quickly realized that there was quite a few shops that might not have been advertising that they were for sale. But every owner that I ever talked to that was in that age range was all willing. They were all always willing to talk. So, so that's what we kind of realized. Hey, um, and we well, and for you having been in the industry for so long you knew a lot of people, you know, again, you know, yeah. working at, at a half a dozen or 10 shops over the course of your life, you, you'd met a lot of people. And most of those folks tended to stay in the industry from, 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 from what I recall, like they would often move around different places, but you knew a lot of people. And so, mm. you know, and I think they had seen what you've done with, 
with coach, you know, with, with the first purchase. And also people start talking about it. But also, Hey, you know, Jeremy's a guy we need to be paying attention to. And so I remember when you, when you, 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 you brought Tim's to us, you know, Tim's was the, uh, the second purchase. Right. And right. I, don't, I think Jack and I weren't sure if you were just so in love with, with the, with the beautiful building, right. And, and all the toys that were there, you know, all these nice shiny toys that were there. But, uh, just I, I a little bit, Adam. Just just a little, a little bit, bit. Uh, taken with it. Well, the shop had air conditioning and, you <laughs> and know, heated floors too, man, right? So yeah, I, well, I wasn't really I was excited to be in an air conditioned environment for the first time in my life. I remember you know, AC in the in the summer, I think it had heated floors too, didn't it? it, it did, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so it was the yeah, it was it was like the, the oasis or the spa for anybody in the body industry, right? And and and, and as you got to know the, the owner and kind of his situation, instantly you you know you came back and said, look. I can double this thing in 12 months. I can see it. And, and you, you can see it clear as we're staring at you right now. You say, I can double this thing in, in 12 months, right? And so that owner had an idea of what he wanted. He was very, you know, very good with it. And that, that deal happened pretty, pretty darn quickly. And, uh, you know, but talk about what you saw. Again, can come back to how do you, how do you walk into a place and say, look, I can double this place in, in, in 12 months. I mean, and, and this wasn't doing a couple hundred thousand. This was doing a couple million at that point, right? You know, so this is, yeah. this is a much bigger shop, um, but you had all the confidence. So talk about kind of what you saw with that deal and why that got you very excited. What? It, you, you didn't dwell on the downside. That's what I remember about you. I mean, you were already past that. That's, a, that's what keeps most people from buying small businesses. Well, everybody they, they, finds reasons not but to. they're going to lose <laughs> they have no that's right i said earlier i have no risk aversion filter you know what's the worst that could have happened yeah i mean that's that's the best way to think to gobble up opportunities and you you got it you had it then and you certainly got it now so with that shop i kind of already see I, I, I was able to quickly observe the guys so we retained all the employees at that shop and the uh, owner, he wasn't, you know, he was very forthcoming to his employees. His brother worked there actually that he was going to be selling the business. So before the transaction finalized, I was able to spend some time at the shop, spend some time with the guys in the office, you know, spend some time with the guys in the shop, kind of listen to what their issues were and what their kind of restraints were. And the the guys in the shop, you know, I, I definitely connected with because I was one of them. And I was at that point was still doing auto body work at the original shop, just not I, I was still doing it every day. Unfortunately, it was like usually late or early in the morning and I do the ownership type things, you know, part of the day. And then I'd work long hours still doing the auto body component of it. But anyways, I went there and I had conversation with those guys. I kind of saw what their constraints were. And then, you know, some of the individuals in the office were, were the main issue. Um, they were very comfortable where they were at. And again, like Adam said, the, 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 biz, the, the previous owner was comfortable. He was able to, you know, basically be there quarter time. He spent a lot of time in Florida and he worked half days. So he really wasn't even there at part time. He was there like, you know, a quarter of the days. And so he was happy and comfortable and he had built this you know, huge facility that could accommodate considerable more amounts of work, but the people there didn't want to, you know, drive the car any faster, so to speak. So I was able to quickly realize that, you know, the guy in the office was probably one of the issues of, of hemming back the workflow. And, um, you know, we, 
had insurance partners, you know, give us insight into insurance and paint manufacturers. They actually produce different reports saying where the type of accidents occur and, you know, the frequency and the make and model. I mean, it, it, things were like phone books of information. So we knew there was a lot more opportunity before we even actually looked at the shop based on, you know, the square footage and where they were located and the, and the you know, just the, the type of information we had. Um, and uh, we increased the sales there by not necessarily getting any more like work. We just stopped scheduling. He would schedule everything on Monday and everything out by Friday. It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I mean, it, well, but it, it worked for what he wanted to do. Yeah. Well, cause he wasn't trying to, he wasn't trying to grow. He was trying to keep it at a certain level. Right. And, and, and right. He, kinda, he had told you that. And so what you did is that you said, okay, you heard, you heard what he told you. Then you went back and verified it. Right. You said, okay, let, let me take a look and see what the yeah. insurance books tell me. Let me, let me talk to the guys and see, see what the guys were. Because one of the concerns to your point, Jack was probably like, well, look, if these guys used to kind of be at, at this country club, you know, nice place. Well, if I come in and, you know, with, with, with the sheer force of Jeremy coming in here, okay, well, guess what? Would these guys be able to hold up? You know, we, you know or are these guys just so, you know, they're so used to being, you know, you know, half-assing it all the time that, you know, you couldn't get them ramped back up. So you wanted to kind of check out and kind of see and, and everything you were seeing and looking into, you were saying, you know, it's continued to kind of feed your fires. Hey, this is, Oh, that's a no-brainer, but hey, I, you know, there's tremendous opportunities here for us to be able to to grow this thing quickly. So you, you you're hearing what he said, and then you said everything. You're you know, as part of doing that diligence is you initially you're taking it at face value, but you got to confirm stuff and, and kind of see and and all the knowledge and experience you had, and you're you talking too about your, your key relationships, right? So you spent time. You, you say your business owner stuff, right? So one of those things I'm, I'm guessing you're talking about, Jeremy, is all the time you spent nurturing the relationships with with the insurance companies. And I, I, I can't remember which which one it was. It was five years in the making. I remember getting a call from you like, oh, they finally they finally got us right. I'm working this thing for five freaking years. These guys they finally brought us on board. It was like you know it was you know constant battle to kind of get these guys. And so there was a lot of that work that you were doing behind the scenes. In addition to just again, you know you know doing good work, but you were you were you know purposely, you know because you, you were thinking about this. You were you know you know you were thinking about having the multiple shops. So again, you're being very strategic from that standpoint. It wasn't just, hey, I'm making up something going along. So there's a lot of that planning that was there. So when you say that owner stuff, right, that's part of that owner stuff that, that you're doing in between actually doing some of the body work, right, Jeremy? Right. Okay. Yeah, that was definitely it. It was it, so, you know, talking about it, we struggled with some of the insurance partners because, again, like I said earlier, a lot of the owners were in their, you know, mid, early to mid 60s. And a lot of the insurance people that, made these types of decisions were in that kind of same age demographic. So we almost had to kind of win the war of attrition, wait for some of these guys to retire <laughs> so that the people that kind of got into the business that when I got into the business, started getting put into these roles, you know, these guys that might've been in there, you know, between 30 and 40, somewhere in that range, guys that I had known, you know, as field adjusters or, you know, some of these guys that are, are, are high level people at insurance companies, you know, we got into the business at the same time. So, we kind of had that rapport built up from stuff that I had done, you know, prior to ownership, you know, being in the shops, working, seeing these adjusters and, you know, you got to work with these guys. And, and, and because I kind of developed those relationships early on, it carried on. And then we would have those meetings and, you know, we'd say they, you know, it got to the point where it was like, Hey, we, we have lack of coverage in this market. There's, we have a large policy base here you know, we really don't want to send our customers 15 miles away. You know, if you ever, so they, they weren't, 
they would give us some information on where it would make sense for us to potentially look so that we knew was when we were ready um, to, to, to get, you know, uptick the work that, that it would be there for us. And, and, you know, going back to Tim's, we just simply altered the, the, the scheduling. And then once we, I always told the guys said, if you try to run a screw in all at once, you strip it. But if you do it incremental turns and do it carefully, you could, you could, achieve the results so that's what we did we just we came into these shops we upgraded we painted we cleaned i mean the bathroom at the one shop dude <laughs> first in a truck stop bathroom that hadn't been cleaned in 10 years so just by doing those little things um we were able to you know show the people hey these these guys you know we were big on training and big on updating equipment and even maintaining the equipment and stuff like that so we kind of did all that on the front end just to show these people, Hey, we're serious and we're going to give you the tools to, 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 to allow us to grow together. And the way that our techs got paid, they were flat rate. So they got paid by the, you know, they didn't get paid hourly or salary. They got paid a commission on the jobs that they did. So the more they did, the more, you know, they could earn. So um, we, we gave them all the tools and the training to, to be successful at that. And then that's when we started saying, okay, well, we're going to schedule differently, you know, versus, schedule everything Monday, try to have it done by Friday. Then on, you know, middle of the week, you got the painter standing around Monday and Thursday, Friday, you got the body men running around like chickens with their heads cut off and you got people standing around. You just weren't using your resources appropriately. So once we were able to start getting in work and delivering work and kind of getting a systematic way of getting stuff in and out and processing it consistently, everybody was working every day and making money every day. Cause if they're not working, they're not like making money. You know, the right. painters would be back there, you know, chain smoking cigarettes outside and playing on their phones. Like they're not, you know, you're not making money doing that, you know? So we were able to kind of, to me, it made sense. It was unbelievable how many people thought we were crazy for doing that. But Well, um, well, well you, you made a good investment. Like you said, I remember one of the simple things you did was you you put together these carts, right? The, the, the carts to be able to, you know, to bring uh, for, for each job to have a cart where, where all the supplies, everything is kind of there, right? You, you, you yeah. just know it's walking around like, hey, so you, I think you came in, you think about like 10 carts right away. Like it was like, look, guys, I'm trying to help you make more money, right? It was again, you, you were looking at them because you understood what it was like to be in their shoes. Like you said, yeah, you know, I'm one of them. You know, I grew up to, you know, doing this stuff. So you were trying to make it easier for them to help, help them make more money. You know, so it's just on them and that, that helped to kind of get them set. Well, hey, this guy's doing the right kind of things. And he's not just, you know, pounding us down. Or, uh, your, your screw example is great. You put a little bit of pressure on and keep pushing. And, okay, keep pushing. Eventually, hey, here we are 12 months later. All of a sudden, things are running much differently, much more smoothly. And, uh, you know, part of, I think, the success of it, and part of the, the, the struggle, I think, Jerry, with many folks who, who go to multiple locations is, well, what happens to location one? How, how do I get com comfortable? I can leave location one and go to lo location two. And so I want to kind of bring some stuff in here because, you know, I mentioned Ernie, you know, Ernie, you know, was a key guy, but if I recall hiring number two at coach was your dad, wasn't it? Or when did your dad come, come in? And Chris and my dad were kind of simultaneously. Chris might've been before my dad actually. Uh, so it was Ernie, then Chris, who Chris was like my helper, you know, when I worked for the previous owner and then my dad was working um, for a guy in Ridgeville and he would come in at night and give us a hand just when, when the volume started, you know, we started processing some more work and we, we needed some help and he would come in and he'd earn, you know, get a little extra money and help us get the cars painted and, and processed through. And it got to the point that we then needed him full time. And at that point it was, you know, me, Ernie, Chris, and then my dad came on board. 
And then yeah. when I started doing the ownership stuff, we had hired another body tech. And I still, I actually did a lot of the jobs that nobody else wanted to do just to keep things flowing, you know, kind of jumped on the grenade um, doing the shittier jobs or, you know, stuff like that. Cause it, like any job, not everyone's going to be your favorite and try to just keep the, keep everything moving by doing the shitty jobs myself. Right. Well, but, but having those guys back at, you know, at coach one to start with, gave you confidence. Say, if I'm not here again, cause you're, you're putting in 80, hundred hour weeks of coach, you know, at the first. Mm -hmm. And so now you're taking some of that energy and putting it towards this, this new business. So you had to have those good people that were there, but also, a lot of those SLPs and systems that you'd put into place already, you could transfer them pretty quickly over and say, here, here's what we do. Here's how we do it. Now we've got, we have more space. It's a different location. It's a different physical way. Again, but you know, so you, you adjust or, or tweak stuff, but you had a, you had the good outline of here's what we need to do. And, and, and you know, so it, it, it wasn't just a, a bold statement of, Hey, we can double this thing in, in you know, in 12 months, you had very good ideas about here's what, what, what we're going to do to be able to go execute these things um, and be able to kind of bring those folks over. So, I remember, I think it was a high five moment. It was because it was, it was October when, when, when you bought Tim's and then the following October, you had doubled it from a monthly sales rate. I think it was more than double. Cause we remember looking back to what it was October, you know, the year you bought it a year later, you, you, you had more than doubled it already. And so what you had seen happen, right now, most folks have been okay and just, okay, that's, that's pretty good growth, but you're already on to the next one. Right. I mean, and, 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 and you, at, I think at this point, if, if I recall, Jeremy, you had people calling you and or opportunities started to kind of present themselves. Like it yeah. wasn't necessarily you were out trying to find stuff. It was just that all of a sudden the phone started to ring. It's like, well, let me listen. And, uh, you know, do, do you recall how many different opportunities you've looked at over the, over the past couple, you know, over the past decade? I don't know. Quite yeah. a few. I mean, a lot of them, you know, you get that kind of bad feeling right away you go into the shop and you see some weird fucker in the corner and you're looking around like uh i don't really see the potential here you know and <laughs> we i heard that is a quick sidebar story me and ernie went and looked at a shop one time in in uh in a western suburb it was a tiny shop but it was bordering some affluent areas and um we went and looked at this thing and somebody airbrushed a giant turd on the bathroom door <laughs> <laughs> and dude this this place was a metal building and, and and it was rusted like 30 inches up so when it was windy the bottoms of the walls would just play this place was the ultimate shithole and uh we left there and i mean we still laugh about it because this place wooden floors you know, and these guys like saw us coming and we're like, oh man, these guys, I mean, they did everything to try to get us to commit to buying this. And again, Teresa being my wife was like, eh, let's check, let's call the city and see what, what the fuck's up with this place, you know? And they're like, oh, they got to do this. They got to do this. They got to do this. I was like, we were looking at like multiples of millions of dollars to get it up to speed, to even get occupancy if we, if we were to, so we, we passed on it, you know, so that was one that stood out that airbrush turned on the bathroom door. Um, but, and I'm thinking that's the only bathroom in this place. Your customers got to see it. Like, what the hell's the matter with you guys? You know, what do you send them to the store, you know, next store to go use the restroom? So, um, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you how many we looked at a dozen, maybe eight, 10. I don't know. It was some of them were, 
some of them didn't last beyond the phone call. You know, these guys were unrealistic and it was like, eh. And, and we were strategic. We didn't want to just all, we didn't want to just go into certain, you know, certain areas because we would, I didn't want to compete with myself, you know? So um, we would definitely look at spreading them out strategically, try to look at things being about a half hour or so apart so that if I had to be at another shop quickly, I could, or, you know, if we had to, we, we had some parameters or some like criteria that we would look at. Um, so some of opportunities just didn't make sense at all, you know? Right. So that was, that, that squashed a lot of them, but there was definitely the ones we wanted, we, we got, and, and the ones that I wanted and didn't get, you know, like my wife always says, things happen for a reason. And, and, and honestly, you know, that, that situation, where one fell through that I was, we were so close on and it would have been, you know, we could have made it work and, and all that, but it, it was probably a blessing in disguise. Right. So, so you, you laid out your, your, your initial vision when we started working with, we talked about that. You, you wanted to have a handful of locations throughout kind of Northeast Ohio and you, you'd kind of seen that. So that's kind of what, you know, what we were working towards. And, and once you discovered that it was much easier, like you said earlier, to be able to buy these things, Jeremy, versus start from scratch and go through all the, all the BS to, you know, just to get into a city somewhere. So, so you, um, I want to say it was within a year, maybe it was a year and a half after buying Tim's, uh, Brunswick came on uh, and, and it was a very different opportunity that, you know, this was a shop that they were doing a bunch of specialty stuff. We weren't really doing much insurance work, but you were looking at more from a geographical standpoint. Your point, Hey, this isn't a good, you know, a, a good geography for us. And again, coming back to what you had done with the insurance companies, you had a good sense that, Hey, we can get some business kind of coming in here pretty quickly even though this shop was more of a kind of a custom shop and if i recall that the the, the couple was gone before the deal even closed on that one oh. they, they couldn't wait to get out of town and so you know, people often will ask it's you know, it, it, we talk about this whole idea of people giving you companies right well again the, the first one you bought the guy almost kind of gave, gave to he wanted to get out of the way you know tim certainly tim wanted to go he's chasing tail down in florida you know, that's where he was he was kind of focused on and these other this couple now that they wanted to get out of town and go to i think it was arizona right they, they, you know, they yeah, I think their daughter was going to college and they kind of wanted to have it all done before that all happened. And they were just they they were burnt out on the industry probably before they even started working in potty shops. They they they, they were just so down on the whole industry and and everything negative about it. And they just didn't look at any of the positive, you know, and they had been around and had a great reputation and they did awesome work. The owner was you know, similar upbringing. He was a technician turned owner and he brought his wife into the business, but she was definitely tough to deal with. We had, you know, vendors come in and they'd be like, well, the old owner wouldn't let us in the office. We had to meet, you know, go out in the parking lot and wait for her to come to us. And so, well, she's not here no more, dude, you're allowed to come into the office. Like just weird <laughs> petty stuff that made it really a tough, a tough, but again, I, I, I checked out the reputation and I didn't give a shit. I knew, I knew once they were gone and again, they did a great job getting it to the, where it was at. They just, they were so burned on the industry. They just didn't want to. Right. They, they and the same thing. The owner loved cars. He loved working on cars. And and that was kind of where he wanted to stay. And when you get into ownership and it, it just, you know, as much as you try to, you, you can't, it's one or the other, unfortunately. So at this point, I'm trying. I'm trying to recall. So you were still putting in probably 800 hour weeks, but you weren't doing much body work at this point. I'm trying to recall. Is this at the point where where the thought of Teresa coming in was that about the time when we were looking? No. At well, Teresa came. So Teresa's work had been 
bought by another um, company in Germany and they had already started making some changes. And I think she was kind of, she did, she really had a lot of respect for her previous boss owner. And then when he sold the new guy had a different ideas. And I, I think Teresa at that point had an individual she worked with that, you know, maybe was making her life miserable. So it was just like we had talked, hey, we're going to have these three locations um, with the acquisition of Brunswick. And I think, and again, this was all said before we had decided her to come on board. I think we're going to have to look at maybe getting somebody to start corralling the finances and right. being, because again, you know, we were fixing at that point, you know, I don't know, a couple hundred cars a month or something like that. And so between all the different invoicing and, 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 payroll and all the, the different taxes, all the crap that, you know, all we were all doing, <laughs> but yeah, it's just a lot of stuff. So um, Brunswick from day one always had the cleanest books because that's where Teresa was stationed at. You know, we had more office space and, and her and I definitely agreed that we couldn't be in the same building, you know, unless we couldn't help it. And that was definitely a key to the success of us working together as we weren't with each other all day <laughs> and then all night. So she yeah. had an office there and that's kind of where um the centralized accounting function and 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 that kind of stuff happened out of that location um so so hold on i want to talk about that because i i remember the breakfast when you when, when you came and you, you talked about this and you said hey guys i'm thinking about bringing Teresa in the business all right I and mean, we had a pretty pretty hefty good discussion about that jack didn't we and you know jack was telling oh, what a great yeah. idea it was is that what jack was telling you it's no, horrible your wife in the business, yeah, right? Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you freaking crazy? You know, why would you do that, Jeremy? Right? And and we, we had a good discussion about it. And from from what I recall, one of the things we concluded is, look, you know, let's give Teresa a chance again. And I recall we talked to Teresa again. Yeah, we, we obviously met her early on. But we we hadn't worked a lot with her at that point. We said, you know, um, let's give her a chance. You know, but let's also give her the opportunity that if if this is too much and she's starting to drown. To let her know it's okay, you know, to, you know, kind of raise your hand and say, hey, you know, this is too much because um, she didn't know. I think to your point, she, she oh, worked in her. No, she, <laughs> she came from an industry where they were, it was a niche industry and it was kind of that mentality of paint dries on its own time. I'm like, in my world, you force the paint to dry. There's no fucking around it. I said, when she, it was, yeah, it was a, it was a definite like smack in the face from the, the pace that she was used to. She's like, I cannot believe the amount of transactions that happen on every RO. Like there's literally dozens and dozens of things. And then accounting people, they can't sleep at night if that shit don't match. So she was losing her mind, you know, and I'm just like, well, you figure it out. <laughs> <You Right. know? laughs> so, 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 so she came in and you guys kind of divided. So it was okay. Well, she was taking care of a lot of the administrative stuff. A lot, of the, a lot of the other stuff we were talking about, you were taking care of more of the, of the production and, and the growth and everything else. And, and I think to your point, you know, one of those keys to success was, hey, even though we're, we're not working together, like well, we're, we're not even physically in the same building a lot of times anyway, because we're in different places going around. But even if we are, the stuff that we're doing is different. Obviously, it, it overlaps in our point at times. But again, we had some very different sections. And and so, yeah, so she kind of jumped right in. And, and I think it was about 18 months in that she finally said, hey, all right, you know, because because you added you're, you're adding another building part of what we did this time we we jumped on jeremy's back and said hold on let's slow down for a bit right let's time out we're not gonna do anything new 
let's you know we're not, not going to buy anything else new. We, we, you know, we, we got to slow down so we can absorb all this stuff because you know you've grown so fast. You know, at this point, you know, you know, you have three locations. Um, you're starting to grow. You know, you know, because of your reputation in, in industry, you weren't having too much trouble trying to find guys. From, from what I recall, again, they said that a lot of these guys are nomadic and they move from one shop to another. But you, you knew a bunch of the guys, so you, you never seem to have trouble kind of finding guys to kind of come in and and kind of do stuff. Um, but yeah, start talking about some, some of the, you know, as you're now trying to balance, you know, I think one of the things we noticed that wherever Jeremy was, that shop seemed to be doing better that week or that month, right? So just the, the sheer force of Jeremy. But as you're trying to have different folks running the different shops, you had your dad involved. You mentioned, you know, you'd gotten your sister involved too. So you started to kind of tap into some different people. Um, so start talking about that in terms of, you know, how do you kind of go through some of these growing pains? And, and you know, here we are saying, hey, Slow it down a little bit, which is exact opposite to everything that that's you know in your nature, Jeremy. You know, we're trying to get you to slow down. But we snuck the tow truck in during that period. Though. Oh, no, you did come in. It's your credit. You did slow down, but yeah, what happened was we started to create an animal where you know, you know part of our training with you is helping you go through your your, your P and L, and so you're seeing where all the money's coming in and where the money's going out. You start going through your P and L and start to find stuff. Okay, like, hey, hey, we're paying all this money for 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 for, for tow trucks, right? Well, we could buy a tow truck, right? And and teachers are like, okay, look. You know, buying eight thousand dollar tow truck is much easier than buying a couple million dollar business. Okay, yeah, you know, you know that's fine, Jeremy. We'll, we'll give Jeremy his shiny object for you know, kind of for right now. So yeah, you started to you slow down a little bit, but you were still again the mind's still going. You can't slow the mind down. It's kind of constant there. But talk about some of those some of those challenges in terms of you know who's running those different shops and how you're trying to manage because because you had a little bit of turnover in terms of you know folks who are managing stuff. But in terms of how you started to kind of find some of those good people to help you start to kind of be able to kind of pull this together and grow and to have that consistent product that you're talking about, you know, so whether I go to shop one, shop two, shop three, we're going to have a consistent experience for the customers. So they know when they come to our shops, they're going to have, you know, maybe it's not a, a crappy McDonald's burger, but it's going to be, it's going to be, hey, you know, things are done a certain way where they feel very confident about stuff. So talk a little bit about in terms of some of that growth and, and how challenging it can be to, to kind of find some of those good people, Jeremy. Well, it was definitely, so the first hurdle that I had to get over, and I've told this to people that I've talked to over the years in business that are struggling with growth, and, and you just have to like relinquish the control and look at how other people do it, and then just, if the end result is the cost, the CSIs are good, the techs are happy, the shops are operating, just because it's maybe not necessarily how I would do it. You have to just kind of like accept the fact, Hey, there's other ways to do it. And if the result is good and maybe it's not, you know, as good as, is if it's the aim small, miss small type thing, you know, it's like, we're going to shoot for this. And, you know, sometimes guys would make decisions and, and, and I would like let them make maybe a bad decision just to kind of prove the point that, Hey, it's okay to make a mistake as long as, but sometimes mistakes are the only way you learn. So, so that was one of the biggest things of relinquishing kind of the control. And then, you know, again, looking at trying to get that consistency that I think that I, I want to say about that time we started doing like a monthly meeting. It was like the first full week of the month that Wednesday, we would, we would, we actually started having, and I think I want to say like the winking lizard or something independence. And <laughs> as the company grew and more people were coming to these meetings, I think that was like a big key is just trying to get everybody on the same page. And again, sharing best practices and sharing, Hey, what we were doing right and wrong and what, what we figured out was working. And at one shop, we need to, you know, look at what 
if somebody had great like length of rental numbers or something like that, would say, well, what are you doing that is cutting a half hour or a half a day off your length of rental or something like that? So we try to like do like a best practices scenario. And, and again, not, we just, we understood that you couldn't, you couldn't be perfect, but is if you just try to get it to the best number you could with the, with the tools you had, that's what we kind of, I don't know if I answered your question. So we, we definitely tried to just get that consistency and it was an ever evolving thing. We never just said, okay, this is good enough. Let's just, cause once you kind of get to the front of the pack, you're constantly got somebody trying to take you down. And, and again, you know, what a lot of people probably don't realize is like, you know, you get rated by the insurance companies based on different criteria, customer service or CSI, length of rental, total cost of repair, the fucking T-Core still hunts my dreams, you know, because <laughs> those were the things that the different companies would rate you on and they were all different. So you say, okay, hey, your numbers with this carrier were great. What are you doing to get them there? And then we would share those things. So it was like a constant evolution of just trying to, you know, get better and, 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 and spread out the best practices. And it, it was like, I think, I think we, we started to actually like turn into a real company unbeknownst to like me, because I didn't have that like background, you know what I'm saying? But it was like, you see these bigger companies do these different things and, and try to do this stuff. And we started doing some of that stuff. And again, I think you guys and even my wife was like, well, this is what actually real companies do. <laughs> so it was kind of like for us, you know, we started doing those things and then it, 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 it started to kind of like bring that, it, it, again, we were never perfect, but we always tried to, you know, try to just operate as a unit. And, and because we had these best practices, we were able, when we had management, issues or vacations or personnel issues you know we could shuffle guys around to kind of help each other and then because we had these meetings everybody was comfortable communicating with each other internally versus getting me involved in everything because that was a big time suck you know and these meetings really touched on high points we didn't like you know I would take notes and and I would and I wouldn't correct things all month long I would kind of just see what was a common thread and say hey here's what I'm seeing here's what, what can we do to fix this and you know, jumping ahead a little bit, once we got our accounting department in order, you know, there was four people working in that department. And sometimes they would beat their brains in trying to figure stuff out that we figure out in 50 seconds at the meeting because you got the operations people involved. So we tried to kind of establish that culture of, you know, instead of drawing a line in the sand between the different departments, we have to work together. And that was, that was a struggle completely and through the end. Because the accounting people had come from different industries. And I think that they were just used to this friction that was constantly created. And man, whenever you got to spend your day, you know, putting out the fires that were created by the friction, dude, those are terrible fucking days. It's like, if we just, why are you doing this to fuck the other guy? Just work together. Like, how hard is this? <laughs> and you know, there was definitely times when we had runs of that happening, but then somebody would get their panties in a wad and try to fuck with the, you know, so, it, but it was constant. It was a constant, constant work to, to get those departments, you know, um, working together. And then, you know, we added different departments. We added 
Well, we'll probably get into some of that. But well, yeah. the, 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 we, we go right to that now. You, you're safe. So we talk about, you know, Teresa, you know, being 18 months in, she had a lot of value, but at some point she said, hey, this is too much for me. And so you, we, we decided to go out and try to find somebody, right? And you mentioned a little bit, which is you weren't just, you know, and, and you were open to this. You said, let's try to find the best kind of, we're looking for kind of a, a control, controller level type, you know, person, but, you know, somebody had a, had a very strong accounting background. Um, you know, with the idea of kind of helping to come in here to be able to assist Teresa. It wasn't like Teresa was tapping out. She said, you know, she said, I'm drowning here. You know, I need some help. Oh, my one buddy's like your dog or your wife's like a dog that chases its tail till it drops dead. She'll never give up. She's just going to work herself to death and, and never say die, you know? And it was like, I, I know we, I saw it. And I know I told you guys, it's like, right. she'll work 20 hours a, a day. But right. when it, you can't, you never get the laundry done when you're wearing clothes every day. It's the same type of thing. There's constant shit coming in. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's like nobody's ever going to walk around naked so you can say all the fucking laundry's done. There's constantly laundry. It's just like with the business, constant shit coming in. We're not going to close down for a month so you can catch up. It right. just, it, it it just never stopped. So, right. so, I think, so I think I was because do you guys ever remember Teresa saying, "I just don't know if we could keep a full time controller busy," and I right. think we all laughed. <laughs> well, yeah, because we were, were talking about because yeah, right. yeah, well, this is what happens. So, so we're, we're we're looking for a guy, and, and this is often you know troublesome too. It's like okay, we're, we're looking for a guy, and he's probably gonna be a six figure person. It's like okay, well, wait a minute, like. We're paying like you were fine paying six figures. A lot of your guys who were in the production side, Jerry, were making hundred plus thousand dollars a year, and that's one of the things that, that that you brag about. Talk about, hey, I got guys that are high school dropouts, graduates from high school, maybe went to some, you know, but they're all making. You know, a lot of these guys are making hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, working their butts off. To your to your point, so you weren't worried about that number, but it was more like, well, look, well, this guy's not going to produce anything, right? But you, you, you had the wherewithal to realize, well, look, wait a minute, like things are a bit out of control and, and you, you trusted us enough, I think was part of that too, to say, hey, let's bring this guy in and let's see, right? And if we had this come in and and uh, I don't know, how, how quick was it, Jack? Was it, was it within the first 90 days? It was kind of like, well, how do we survive without this guy? Right? It was one of those things that he oh, came yeah. in and just had, yeah, he had so much knowledge quick. and yeah. And, <laughs> but to your point, Jeremy, he was totally outside the industry. But we said it doesn't matter. You, you don't need a guy that, that knows this. You just need a guy that understands how to kind of pull these systems together, be able to take care of this stuff. And I think it took Greg about two years to kind of get, I want to say, get caught up or kind of get things oriented to where, yeah, to where, to where he felt like I, I was kind of on top of stuff to, to where he could start to even plan. I mean, it was just, you know, part of what we brought him in was, hey, let's start to kind of put together some plans going forward. We can kind of see stuff. But it took him almost a couple of years just to kind of get, caught up and get some systems in place and to, and to help with the cash flow. Cause one of the things that, that, that we didn't touch on yet, which is, you know, when you grow cash flow, especially for, for business like yours, Jeremy, cause it's very capital intensive is, you know, cash flow was an issue. And so one of the things we haven't talked about yet, but it's, I think it's one of the, uh, probably the, the dirty secrets. Okay. is how some of these deals got funded and, and something that's very unique to your industry, Jeremy, and something that people probably have never heard about here, which is prebates, prebates. So can you let our audience know what a I've never heard that before? Yeah, it's the first time I ever heard that. Right. So can you let our audience know, Jeremy, you know, in, in 30 seconds, kind of what a prebate is? Yeah. You know, as a buyer of like material, specifically the liquid, you get as like a, a shop, you get a rebate on it. And we'll say it's easy math, 20%. You could forego 20% and say, hey, I'm willing to take 10% over a term, you know, basically submit to a purchase agreement and they'll front load you that 10% on a spend that you agree to over a time frame. So if you commit to spending a million bucks worth of, you know, paint, 
over a three, five year period, typically they were based on like 60 month deals. They would say, okay, they would do the math and say, all right, well, instead of the 20 off, you're going to get 8% off. So you're for, you're basically loaning yourself the money to some level because you're giving it up in, in margin on, on your material. But so it's technically not like cheap money because it could cost you 10%, 12%, but it's fast. And once you set the precedent to say, hey, I need a quarter million bucks to buy this shop or for a down payment or working capital, or I need equipment. So these, these deals came about back in the day when paint companies would basically give shop owners like a capital uh, investment to buy a spray booth so they can process more of their, their product. And, and, you know, having these last couple of years, there's actually some like Lincoln Electric's one of them. They'll give you welders if you commit to buy X amount of consumables over a period of time. Right. So it's it's not to, it's it's unheard of to people outside the business, but it, it's really not. I mean, franchise it's system a of finance, eh? at a high, you know, but it's, it's a yeah, financing. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. That's really what it is. But I, right, and, and the banks day. are the banks are paying in the ass. Where when you have a precedent with an insurance company or a, a paint manufacturer partner, and you say, hey, and then you know, you commit to this purchase agreement, but you're burning through the purchase agreement, double the speed of what the agreement was, dude, they, it's, it, it's easy for them, right? Yeah. It's, it's, well, I think, well, I think what you you kind of alluded to a little earlier is the way some of these uh, prior owners, some of the shenanigans that you guys would do, a lot of times these guys would get these big checks, right? And they'd go buy a, buy a freaking boat or buy a car. Yeah. They, they take and buy something, right? Whereas with ask, you, ask, yeah, ask, ask Ben what he's seen people buy. Yeah, right. Oh, uh, so I yeah, should mail you, order brides all kinds of. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm sure. Hey, again, let the imagination go wild. You know, whereas with you, you were investing in that was part of how you, like I said, you got down payments to be able to buy these companies or be able to buy, you know, you're using it to put it all back into the business, right? To be able to kind of grow. It. And so what had happened as part of this growth was we started to kind of bump up against some cash flow issues. And that was part of what was kind of going on. And that was part of what was causing Teresa to kind of start to kind of pull her hair out a little bit. And again, as it kind of brought Greg in, that was a big part of what Greg was doing. We, we get, get, get the cash flow under, you know, you know, under control a little better. So it's not slowing our growth because, you know, because literally there are thousands of parts a day, literally moving through your shop. Right. I mean, and so that there's a lot to be able to kind of track <laughs> and, and to be able to kind of finance that. And even though the paint vendors are very helpful that way, a lot of your other vendors were not very helpful that way, right? Where they would no. they, they'd cut you off, they'd be a real pain in the ass. I mean, it, it was just, there were constant battles. So, so that, I think a big part of what, of what Greg did when he came in too was he started to kind of consolidate some of those things, right? And he started he started to say, hey, here's how you kind of do stuff. And again, but it was coming from the idea of how do we get kind of better better cash flow here? Because again, we're, we're growing, but we need we need the cash to help kind of fuel that business. And so a big part of what he was starting to kind of do, and, and your point, it was okay. So it went from there was nobody that all of a sudden then Teresa came in and doing it. And pretty quickly, we're, you're at a staff of four people doing stuff, right? Yeah. So you understand why, hey, yeah, Teresa, well, look, you know. <laughs> plus, remember, they brought in, they brought on the other, Michelle, do you remember her? They brought her in to, like, build some of the reporting tools. as right. like So, and, and I think she spent, I don't remember, three, six months, something like that, or two, three months since building these reporting tools because, Greg was fully capable, but he was so immersed in the day to day, he couldn't, he didn't, there wasn't enough time in the day. So going back to, you know, Teresa wondering if we would have enough to keep a full-time controller busy, all of a sudden turned into four people plus a contract person. <laughs> and, and so 
and, and, and Teresa was still doing 20 hour weeks or 20 hour days a lot of times. Well, right. more, more stuff so, to do. Yeah. <laughs> it was a testament to Teresa trying to keep it together, but just never, it, she would have never admitted defeat. And all of a sudden you have one person doing it. You know, now you have a, a team of four doing it, plus another person helping. It's like, do you see now why we need, you know, so you guys saw it, I saw it, but she saw it pretty quick because her life got a lot less stressed when that help was here for her or with her. So it's not, like, it's not uncommon for what we see, Jeremy. You know, it, it people don't like accounting and, and administrative stuff, so they don't get involved in it. And as you grow and things get a little complicated, all of a sudden it, it mushrooms into a big problem. That's I thought I biggest... gave Greg a heart attack one time. <laughs> I said when all of us were watching pornos growing up and, and sneaking our dad's dirty magazine for you, <laughs> did you have like spreadsheets and tables <laughs> and a fucking bottle of lube or whatever? And That's he right. He was laughing because Greg worked. I mean, he's, this guy wore like a, you know, a sport coat and shit to work every day prior to coming to work for us. And then, you know, being able to, then having to interface with somebody like me who's you know never really worked in a professional type environment like that he i think that's part of what he loved about it actually so, oh yeah yeah but he's like but i don't know that i've ever had my boss ask me about you know pleasuring myself to spreadsheets before i said well, <laughs> well <laughs> yeah, that was... seem to like him a little too much <laughs> Well, that was, uh, was part of the thing with you know with Greg is we were, we interviewed a handful of, of folks and Greg was probably the most qualified but the, the added bonus was he was a car guy yeah so for him this is like this is like his dream job he 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 had twenty years your point Jeremy kind of boring more industrial stuff right whereas also he's like this he's like he couldn't believe it. he's like you know this is a, I, I got a chance working you know, in a body shop he's like he, he was just kind of loving it and so as I mentioned earlier. You did a great job of kind of slowing down. Yeah, you, you want to buy a tow truck to kind of, you know, help out with some stuff. But then I, I think it's maybe maybe six months or a year when Greg was kind of there, we were kind of getting things kind of settled down a little bit. And I think one of your famous phrases you, you've mentioned to us a couple times over the years, Jeremy, is that you recognize that when you're getting comfortable, you get a little bit antsy. And you say, well, it's time for me to get uncomfortable again, right? And so right on time, there was an opportunity that came up and it was, the the building you're sitting in right now, I believe, that, that, that yeah. presented itself, right? And so, talk a little bit about that that uh, opportunity and and how you saw the potential for that for that building that that you're in now. So, you know, with with having Teresa with her logistics background, and then you know having Greg working in manufacturing and different type of industries, and and a quick sidebar is I think you know, maybe we will touch on it, but, you know, we definitely found success within our industry, hiring people from outside the industry because so many people were jaded and they already had this preconceived disdain for the industry and, you know, fuck the insurance companies and these techs are nothing but ungrateful, blah, 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 all this bullshit. So get, bringing in kind of <clears throat> fresh meat, so to speak, we, we kind of got a, <clears throat> a fresh take on things, which was, you know, hugely beneficial with, with setting up this building. We, at this point, we had plow trucks, we had the tow truck, you know, we had vendors coming into the shops nonstop, blocking up the parking lot, taking up production space with, with parts and material and nobody, again, back to this consistency. That was one of the things that we definitely did not have consistency because you have returns, you have cores, you have credits, you have all these things you got to chase and every shop was doing it a little different. So 
we we saw this opportunity here. You know, I came and looked at it because it was an existing shop and they had some equipment that was not very old and kind of looked around at the equipment and the guy was an older gentleman that owned the building and he had bankrolled um, this shop for one of his long-term guys that was doing work for him and they had a falling out. So he was trying to liquidate some equipment and um, I really didn't have any interest in any of it, you know? So I, it was just, I mean, it's a 20 ish thousand square foot building and it was an existing shop. And um, this, this was, the, this might've been a little bit before Greg came on board because we interviewed him here. So trying to look back at the timeline, so we had already bought this building before Greg came on board. But again, the, the idea was for what I'm describing, we knew we were eventually going to have an admin team, you know, marketing, HR, accounting. And then with, with, with this building, we kind of, again, saw the opportunity for all of this stuff to kind of be at this location. Um, and then the benefit was we were working on different insurance partners that we would have like stressed the space at, at our Twinsburg facility, which, you know, is like six minutes down the road. This could have been an overflow um, location, which it ultimately did turn into for, you know, pre COVID. But um, we, we were able to, um, you know, procure this space. The, the, the guy that owned it called me and, you know, after I kind of told him I'm not really interested in the equipment, I, I, I can't warehouse lifts and an extra spray booth and, you know, stuff like that. Um, and he's just like, well, how about, you know, how about do you have any interest in the building? So that's when my mind started like saying, well, wait a minute, we don't have to keep our tow trucks, out, our tow truck and our plow trucks outside, you know, Greg, Teresa, or the, the, not even Greg, the future hire for this controller will have a space. Um, it's close enough to the shops, stuff like that. So um, the guy didn't, I don't know, he just really made us an offer. It was hard to refuse because when I talked to the guy that did a lot of our financing over the years, I think he had told me, he's like, fuck, if you don't buy it, I will, dude. That's a great deal. I mean, he's basically <laughs> selling you everything for the less than what the, the appraisal is on the building. So um you know we pulled the trigger on that and and to your point earlier Teresa didn't even flinch she's right. like yeah <laughs> well because you, you had said so many you had said so many things in the past that i think that she it, it, maybe she had done it she, she saw you do it right so she probably figured it was okay so you're seeing this as a nice centralized location like you're talking about so you know a big part of this was having the all the parts start to kind of come through this as part, part of what you're kind of seeing because yeah i so said we have all the space that we were losing you know, physical space at the other shops, plus all the traffic. You just okay. So, hey, we'll be have a central location, central location for some of these things that kids kind of do. And that brought somebody else into your, you know, that, that was in your role for a while too. Somebody you grew up with, who you brought in, helped kind of run that part of the operation, right? Everybody yeah. Yeah, that was so. He electrician by trade. Uh, he had, I think, he hurt his back or something. He had a couple things that were really kind of made him think, can I really do this forever? You know? So we had tried him out previous to this location in a couple different roles. We tried to, and again, all of it was beneficial, but we just really didn't have the right seat for him on the bus, so to speak. He tried to run production, but you know, um, I don't know if I've ever met a more black and white person than Rob. So, you know, I know one of the things I had thought about was, you know, people are like, well, how do you work with like your best friend or whatever? And I'm like, dude, it will not be a problem with this guy. I'm telling you, because this guy is as black and white is when he's at work, it's one way. And when he's drinking a beer and eating brisket, it's another guy, you know? So it wasn't, I had no, plus I knew 
everything he did, much like all the key people, I knew everything they did was in the best interest of, of the company. You know, I, like he, I never looked at any of those key people and said, oh, this guy's doing this, you know, automatically. They wouldn't have been key people if I ever thought that, obviously. So we kind of <clears throat> had him get a, get a look into the production side of how the shops run, kind of the paint, the body, the intake, you know, the whole process. And, and again, he, he was, he was, dude, he's a hardcore guy. I mean, he's one of those guys that, you know, <laughs> would work himself to the point of vomiting before he would stop to take a break. So it was, and, and not, dude, no, nobody works like this. You know what I'm saying? So it was tough for him to like run production because, he did tell one guy one time, which this guy was such a, like a wuss. He's like, dude, if I put a scud missile up your ass, I don't think you could work any faster. You know? So the guy came to me, you know, and almost tears like your friend Rob is fucking uh, uh, singling me out and I don't feel comfortable. I'm like, well, Jesus Christ, dude, I, you don't work very fast. Like people laugh you at work, you know, but whatever Wait, so, so people, people are coming to you for 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 for, for uh consoling wow yeah well that, yeah well that i'm telling you that was pretty pretty hardcore but you know um he was the guy you know say like my dad and rob and chris and ernie the key guys they if they told you something was done that was a, i didn't have to think about it no more so i'm like what the fuck am i gonna do with this fucking guy man like it's one of those things it's like i had a college wrestling coach tell me he's like we recruit the best people and then we find a place for them whether we need them or not there's always a need for good people so that's a good that's a good way to look at it very so true we we decided because you know i was harnessed by by all you people what can we do to internally make operations better we have this space we have some personnel you know we had a little bit of capital at the time um to do some things with because I wasn't spending it on on acquisitions or whatever else. <clears throat> so with Greg's background and Teresa's logistics background, we kind of decided, hey, you know, all of our shops are about, well, tw Twinsburg shop was like less than 10 minutes from here. The other shops were about a half hour, 20 minutes or so from here. So we decided as a group, hey, in order to try to get the expenses, you know, because like to your point earlier, we were bringing a guy in that was going to, you know, not really bring in any, he had ad value, but it wasn't like quantifiable. You know what I'm saying? We, were, we weren't able to say, well, Greg could produce a hundred hours a week and blah, blah, blah at this efficiency. Cause he, you know, but what he was able to do was um, look at internally what we could do to make our, our current processes better. So we all kind of decided, Hey, and again, with Teresa's kind of logistics background, we then centralized our parts, which was like totally unheard of in the auto body industry, but obviously not in other industries. So we brought in, we made Robbie kind, you know, not kind of. Robbie was the parts manager. We brought in two individuals and we bought two trucks. We bought a Transit 250 and a box truck. And then we met with a couple different vendors, you know. And again, this is a benefit of, you know, Greg and Teresa coming from outside the industry, tried to have negotiations with um, current vendors, other vendors. Hey, if, if you guys could essentially get three shops and make one stop a day, is there opportunity for distribution rebates or discounts or any of that kind of stuff? And, you know, some of the vendors, you know, basically were very dismissive and thought it would be stupid. And, you know, why would you want to do that? 
And then, you know, the one that really saw that as a great opportunity jumped on it. You know, we were able to negotiate deeper discounts, um, distribution discounts. And for them, you know, we bought such a volume of parts. We were able to have like a dedicated driver. He came here twice a day. Um, Rob and, and the guys here uh, had a really good system of inventorying the parts as they came off the truck. So like, uh, you know, our return ratios dropped. Our, we weren't missing credits and cores. So we were finally able to kind of bring consistency to that that component of of what we were doing and um it was met with a, a lot of resistance at the shops because the guys felt that they were going to like have to wait longer for parts and um it was a struggle because it was very different than what people were used to but you know fast forward till now i still talk to some of the guys and they're now they all bitch that there's that half the production space is taken up by parts you know so we basically had a, a twenty thousand square foot warehouse where the parts department was able to separate um and inventory the parts and then anybody the individual at the shop that was running production would have communication say hey we're bringing in <clears throat> ro blah 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 and blah let's see the are we going to see the can we see the parts on the next run and robbie would make it happen right and again with robbie's black and white kind of demeanor he was he was the guy for that job now not everybody liked rob because you know, some of the guys would try to circumvent the process and be like, well, I'm going to drive to, I'm going to drive to the parts department on my lunch break and grab my fender. And it's like, Rob, you'd be like, I don't know why you just wasted your time, you know, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> that's not so, how it works there, right? So, so it, it evolved into kind of all of the stuff that we paid money for came to this facility and it was huge in, in the increase in, in, margins and now when you start to do multiple millions of sales a percent here or there equates big numbers so you know we like i said we didn't you know again a little known fact we get charged cores on bumpers and headlights and wheels and certain components on cars that the manufacturer wants them back so that they can't be like garbage picked by like aftermarket or or like uh companies that recondition or refurbish these so that was a way to combat that. So we would get charged additional if we didn't return a box of pieces of a headlight or something like that. So Robbie was like, I mean, he was crazy about not, not missing out on those bumper cores. And, you know, we, we SOP'd out different systems for identifying which parts had cores. You know, it was pretty sophisticated how, how we were able to capture that money that we would otherwise been just putting in the dumpster, you know, so. Well, you got those, you said, you're getting those good people on board. And if I recall the kind of timing, this is, this was kind of getting into the, the, the latter part of 2019 where things were really, you know, all the stuff that you, you had done, all the investments of time and people and efforts, it was really starting to kind of hum. And then we get into early 2020 and we all know what happened in early 2020, March, 2020, all of a sudden COVID hits and it's like, holy crap, what's, you know, what's, you know, what's going to happen. And even before COVID started to happen, I, I remember there was some there was some turmoil and there was some there were some changes going on and you know and there was constant change w with the insurance companies, Jeremy. But I remember you know as we kind of approached you know even probably a year before COVID, it really started getting kind of crazy in terms of who was doing what, how things were happening, how unreasonable they you know they were being you know different things that they were kind of going on. You know, they'd always been kind of a pain in the ass, but they really became you know really tough. And so you know when COVID hit, you know. Everybody kind of got nice for a little bit during COVID, and and what was the nice thing that the, the insurance companies did, did for you guys? You know, they gave you guys a big rebate, didn't they? You know, during COVID, I, I think it was a thousand bucks. Was it? I think it was a thousand bucks a shop. I think you said right, so something like yeah, that. Something like a thousand like bucks to buy uh, 
I don't even fucking know PPE, like some hand sanitizer. I don't even know what their reasoning was, but something. But if I recall that, you know, that lasted until maybe May 1st and it lasted maybe like six weeks. And all of a sudden they said, well, we don't care. We don't care that you can't get parts. We don't (laughs) care that, you know, know, it it was always like they just, it, it seemed like they just took a total turn where things just became what were was difficult before became even more difficult. And, yeah, because they were all quarantined and then they had to justify why they were needed. So they would become like hyper vigilant about auditing estimates. And the disadvantage was when was that they weren't able to come to the shops and have a, like a conversation and see physically what you were talking about. It was based on pictures and estimates and, you know, um, and, and again, they all had the worry that well, they're not all dumb. I mean, a lot of them figured out, well, wait a minute, if the shops are doing all this stuff, then what the hell did they need us for type of situation, you know? And there's some major carriers locally that are shutting down entire offices because of that, you know, the work from home. And they put a lot of like pressure on the shops to start to kind of do the things that they had historically done in order to, you know, be a good partner. It kind of came to the point that, hey, you know, we're partners, but you're going to do like 95% of the work. And uh, we're just going to critique everything you do to try to say, you know, shave a couple bucks off, not, not a couple bucks, a couple hundred, a couple thousand off each estimate. And, um, you know, obviously when you're in business, your objective is to sell your services and where you, you make money on parts, you make money on, obviously you make the most on labor, you make the most, you know, make decent on parts and, and on materials. So, um, you know, so there was that constant yin and yang, but when they were at least in the shop and you could have these meetings and have these candid conversations face to face, you could at least have a balancing. But when it came to trying to manage somebody from afar, you know, that, right. that was kind of where we struggled, not so, just so, us, every shop. Everybody. Yeah. And so it started to create some more stress and it really started to wear on you. And you started, you know, I remember you started to wear down a little bit. You're, you're a big, tough guy, but I mean, you know, this is, you know, there's this battles, right. And it became a little yeah. tougher for you. And so, you know, as we're kind of doing this and you're looking around too and you're, you're noticing and part of your part of your, your original vision included buying all this real estate because, you know, your, your grand vision was at some point to eventually sell these things and then, you know, be the landlord, and, you know, and, and kind of collect, collect rent checks. And so I forget which Friday it was a Friday in January of 21. You got a you got a you got a weird phone call <laughs> that you hung up on. So talk about this this random phone call you got that, that you kind of ignored, hung up on. Like, you know, so tell yeah. us what happened on that Friday in January. Yeah. So we had a rough, it was rough. I mean, we were still kind of in COVID and, you know, we were just, there was a lot of unknowns and, and, and COVID was good for us. I mean, our, our, we had updated our original location to a much larger facility. Um, We didn't like officially at that shop, we we had a pretty tremendous increase in sales because we had more capacity, which that was why we grew, you know, bought a bigger shop. Right. Um, our Brunswick shop kind of stayed the same ish and then our Twinsburg shop really fell off. And, you know, I think a lot of that was the management controlled the flow of work and they had come from an environment where maybe less was expected out of them as like management. And then there was more people and they thought I was unreasonable because my, I'd always kind of looked at people, you know, too many cooks spoil the soup type of situation. And, um, we had always kind of, and again, we had a tremendous support staff at, at this midway shop between accounting and parts. So again, at the shop level, 
we alleviated a lot of that. But but anyway, so we we were just struggling with some personnel, specifically at the one shop, and um, it was just it was just it was tough. There was just a lot of unknowns, and just like everybody in business during that time. Um, and then we had, again, I got that call and I, you know, it was a Friday and it was right after the holidays. And I always say between pretty much the week of Thanksgiving to the week after um, New Year's in the body shop is is brutal because there's tons of vacation. People are in high stress because their families are visiting and all this other nonsense. So it was getting through that. So we were finally through all that time and vacations were over and things were getting back to normal. And it was just a tough, we had a ton of work. There was, you know, and um this guy called me and I, you know, I answered cause it wasn't, it, I knew, you know, whatever I answered. It was a solicitor type call. I hung up and he called me back and <laughs> it's like, Hey, give me five minutes. You know, um, if you don't like what I got to say, you know, you'll never hear from me again or whatever, which uh, that would have probably been bullshit, but I don't know if I hung up on him a second time or I <laughs> said, hey, listen, I can talk to you when I'm done. And I think that's what ended up happening. I ended up like talking to him a third time, like as the day wound down and I was sat in my car in the parking lot and listened to what he had to say. And, and I, yeah, you know, I probably didn't, I thought it was bullshit. You know, I was like, eh, these fucking guys, you know, and uh, we hadn't seen consolidation in this, in this area as heavy as some markets. And for, from our standpoint, whenever the, the previous consolidators came into the market, um, we, um, we actually had an increase in volume and our sales went up because a lot of these consolidators, this guy that I was speaking with, said, oh, they just put the, you know, he calls it the lipstick on the pig and they really don't change anything. So that's why the quality drops, you know, the responsibility gets spread out and it becomes a corporate like email finger pointing structure type thing. Nobody's actually there doing anything. So again, we, we definitely experienced the benefit of that when other consolidators came in. And uh, what was unbeknownst to me at that time was, um, you know, what what this company did was they had definitely kind of like circled our wagon. They had bought a shop in Medina, which, you know, was right down the street from our, our Brunswick store. They bought one in Streetsboro and then they bought one in Cleveland, which, again, basically competitive shops right near us really wasn't that concerned Um Greg being, you know, the numbers guy was like, what, what the hell's going on with this carrier? We're, our sales are considerably down with, with, with this carrier. Oh, yeah, we'll see what it looks like next month. Well, next month came, he's like, what the fuck's going on with this carrier? <laughs> and I'm like, huh, huh, shit. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> I was like, well, so we had already been in negotiations. So looking back on it, I, think all that was on purpose you know just to show us hey we're going to be nice and we're going to have these nice conversations and we're going to you know play nice but we're also going to show you that if you don't see it our way you're you're going to lose a substantial amount of and we're not talking we're talking millions of dollars worth of sales over the year so um so, so, so this guy called you talked about the fact that hey we've, we've identified the northeast ohio market and ohio market is one that we, we want to get into to your point he said hey we bought Shops A, B, and C. So we're coming to town, and you know, and you know, so you can either join us or you can yeah. you, you can compete against us. And he kind of he, he told me you you could probably fight for a year or two, but <laughs> when I come back, this piece yeah, of paper will not look like <laughs> the new piece of paper. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I remember. So, so, so I recall. You know, so you know, I think <clears> you, 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 when you finally talked to the guy, then 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 you and Teresa kind of talked for a bit, and then 
it was maybe 6 30 on friday afternoon and, and i'm getting a call from jeremy and, and and i know when jeremy calls there's something going on so i pick up the phone what's going on and it was an hour later right we're talking through stuff you're, you're explaining what 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 this guy said and um you knowing my background in wall street people buying sell companies doing stuff you're like is this guy for real i said like, we're going through stuff I said, look i said if, if what this guy is saying is true the process he's talking about what he's doing I said, by the end of February, you guys are going to have a signed letter of intent. You know, that's, that's what this guy's talking about, right? I said, but let's yeah. see what this guy puts on paper. You know, it's easy to talk about stuff. Let's see, can this guy get you something by Monday morning on a piece of paper, right? And, uh, but as soon as we hung up, my first call was to Jack, right? I said, guess what? He goes, well, I said, uh, uh, Jeremy and Teresa are going to be selling. He goes, what do you mean? I go, I just talked to Jeremy. I go, it's not a deal yet. I go, but he's going to sell because we know you. Again, you know, you, you know, being very decisive as you are, you know, your denature. You know, you, you, it was just the right timing because people often would talk about how do you recognize the offer you can't refuse? It's, it's not one friggin' thing. It's a bunch of these things that, that happened. It was, you know, at this point you were 10, 11 years in, you had go, you'd gone from a company doing one location, doing a couple hundred thousand dollars in sales to multiple locations doing 50 times that, right? And, and all, all the stuff you, you, you've kind of gone through and all of a sudden here's this phone call just, out, you know, almost kind of out of nowhere, but you recognize enough to say, Hey, well, this might be the, you know, this might be the one we, we, as we talked about, it was going to, if, if they can do what they're talking about, it's going to be kind of hard to ignore again, all the things kind of going on. So I knew right away, I, I, Jack's like, what, what do you mean? What do you mean selling? I said, I said, let me tell you what happened. There's this guy said, you know, so I could, I could tell pretty quickly that, that, that this is going to be legit. And these guys did, you know, and by end of February, you had something signed up and kind of ready to go. And, and, uh, was it relief for you? You know, how would you describe, you know, again, there's probably all sorts of feelings, you, you know, it, it, it's been a couple of years now, obviously. So you I hope you had some time to kind of reflect upon this, but uh, so what, what was happening is, is they were very active in the space and they were doing other deals. And, and part of what helped things go very quickly for you guys is you had all your stuff in order, right? So they sent, you know, so anybody has been through a process of looking to looking to sell, they send you these, you know, seven, you know, seven page lists of stuff, right? They give us all the stuff. And because of, all the stuff that your team had done and kind of pulled together, it wasn't, it was easy here. Boom. It just, you know, you guys had it to them instantly. Whereas the rest of the folks that they went and they asked those questions, right. It's taking weeks, months, and they're getting stuff back. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't oh, match. Yeah. Up. It, it, it doesn't matter. Really it's UPS to them. Right. So and it was so, a joke. Some of the shops. So, so they knew pretty quickly that you, what you guys had was pretty good. And, and so they kind of delayed, like they had, you know, they had just signed up, you know, end of February, but they kind of kept pushing back the closing a little bit because they were doing some other deals and some of those other deals were, you know, a little bit messier or something they were getting was messier. So they kind of delayed for a bit. So you had to wait. So you signed this thing late February and the deal actually closed. I think it was, was a July 23rd, something like that, you know, uh, something like that. End of July. Like that, right? So, you know, for five months, you had to kind of, you had to kind of keep going because part of the deal was, you know, they asked if you wanted to stay on board, but they get the option to, to, to leave. And you decided like, hey, we're signing this deal and <laughs> I'm Yeah, off. well, so it, it, <laughs> they did try to retain Teresa, but they said I wouldn't be able to work for somebody. You know, they because <laughs> um, we did have a couple like support companies that um, they had as well, just not in this market. Like so we had a. a automotive glass and then a mobile automotive diagnostic company and they had um a company that was doing that type of stuff just not in this market so that was an addition because that was originally my plan i'm like well i could just kind of run these companies and really not much involvement we had good people and blah 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 and we had you know 
it was already this location was where they were housed at. They had offices here, you know, and stuff like that. So um, they had already told us they didn't want this space. Um, they did look at it. They just said, eh, it's an expense and there's no production. And we could put the glass guy and the diag guys at other shops and they, they're mobile anyway. So anyways, but then they had made us an offer in addition to those companies. And then it was like, oh, well, well, again, they didn't have anybody kind of managing that component in this market. And um, they, they definitely approached Teresa. They, they flat out told me, we, you, we, no, we, you're too fucked. <laughs> You've had your own shop for too long and you're not going to want to sit on zoom calls and answer questions about, <laughs> you know, a bad customer survey or some of this nonsense that we're going to, you know, make, make our GMs do. And I'm like, Hey, you're, you're probably right. <laughs> so, um, but she didn't, she, she wasn't ready to, I think she has PTSD from this shit. So I don't think she was ready to, you know, <laughs> jump back into that. Well, so, so, so yeah, so, so here you're having to keep things quiet for about five months, right? You know, the only person who, 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 got, who got brought in quickly was Greg, because Greg was obviously a key, a key part of this and be able to kind of be part of the diligence, but you had to keep it quiet. You, you, you couldn't tell friends, you couldn't tell family. You, you, you had a good friend who, who we've had on the podcast a couple of times, Ben. Uh, who, who our audience probably knows and you know ben had sold his company and he'd worked for there for them for a year and was miserable right so he he came to work for you and this was probably four months into him working for you all of a sudden you decided to sell and and, and you couldn't tell him and and we we're talking <laughs> about it we were talking about it uh, the, the last time i interviewed him he said yeah he's like i'm wondering like what the hell's going on i'm, I'm trying to make changes and all of a sudden like people aren't doing stuff or i can't do like what's going on he goes and my fine jeremy told me what was going on and he goes he goes i start he said i was I was so happy. I was so excited. He's like, I, I, I was in tears. I was so excited for him. Right. He was a part of it was I was excited too. Cause I, I, you know, it was very different for him because he had been on the, the paint distribution side. Yeah. And he said, he goes, I didn't realize all the, all the crap you guys are going through. So for him, I think it was a big relief. Like, Oh, I don't have to, to disappoint my friend. And tell <laughs> yeah, him I'm, yeah. I'm going to leave. Right. And so, you know, like I couldn't, see. so everything kind of, kind of worked out nice about that. But you know, some of those emotions of, again, the, 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 the highs of, you know, I can't believe this is going to happen versus what's going to look like. So talk a little bit about in terms of, you know, some of the discussion maybe you and Teresa were having it at that point, you know. Um, oh, dude, I don't, we didn't even fucking believe it till probably a year after. Cause even sometimes now it's just, cause it's weird. Like, you know, it's backing up a little bit. Keeping it under wraps was probably the worst part of the whole thing because, you know, obviously with having my dad involved and, you know, Rob and, and, you know, people that were close to me and not being able to tell them and, and, and everyone's like, well, I wouldn't have said nothing. Yeah. But if, if that would have got out somehow, it could have blew up everything. We, you know what I'm saying? So it was like, it was, that was the hardest part I would say of the whole thing. You know, I'm obviously not being able to tell my own dad. I mean, I told him before I told everybody else and it was, it was tough, you know, and, uh, he he had mixed emotions because he was nearing retirement and you know we're not getting into that but i'm just saying that was really the hardest part robbie he didn't give a fuck he was like Ugh. well at least you won't drop dead at work so you know that's just how he is. very black and white there you go yeah so you know because he and my dad and, and rob and, and the people again that were close to me seen seen because it does it takes a toll on you you know and stuff like that so that was definitely the hardest part of the whole deal. Honestly, I, I wish it could have happened faster, you know, but prolonging, you know, pulling off the bandaid was tough. And when I finally got to like tell my dad and, and Rob and Ben, and you know, it, it was a relief, but it was still, t 
tough on them because we still had some time left to operate and you didn't want to, you know, you didn't want people, it, it's just tough. Nobody likes change. And we had done a good job, like as a whole, I feel like, you know, keeping our people happy and, and, and making a good place, you know, for them to work. So, and it, you know, I just think there's a lot, a lot of layers to it that a lot of people maybe don't always understand. So it was tough, but. Did you lose anybody, anybody walk because of that? No, honestly, I mean, even the people that that left, like maybe even within a couple months of us selling, they had called back. I mean, because they were, I think, as a whole, pretty impressed with how we had kind of like, again, gave some of our people some autonomy and they weren't used to that, like, ask for permission type of structure. We let people make decisions. And, and I think they recognize that a lot of the people that had worked with us had those abilities. So, in fact, the you know, one of the people that worked in accounting is GMing a, short, a store right now. He had, he hadn't even thought about the auto body industry, but now he's running a shop in, 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 you know, in Akron. And he was, he was an, he's an accountant, you know? So um, I think they would have retained everybody, but there was a couple of people that left. I think, you know, my dad was nearing retirement. I think he just was a little skeptical of how, how his role would have worked with the new company. And then, um, yeah, he, he, he had a pretty good gig working for his son, right? If I remember he had a nice little yeah. office back there and he took, you know, he, he has so much knowledge. Yeah, he, was, he, he became the Maytag man, you know, he fixed <laughs> all the problems that we had him fix. And then every once in a while he'd walk through and, and, and I think it was Ben that said, your dad's like the owl, the mice don't come out and play when the fucking owl's there, you know, but, <laughs> you know, my dad was like kind of the wet work guy. If there was shenanigans going on at a shop and, we just go place him there and he'd bring his, his mobile dorm room and, and set up an office until the nonsense was condensed. And, you know, I think um, it was a tough position because uh, a lot of people didn't understand the value that that brought, you know, because to your point you earlier, when I was at certain shops, things seemed to operate. And, you know, my dad was very objective orientated you know we had a shop that had some individuals and they didn't want to fix you know really bad car you know they would they would find ways to total cars and and again nothing nefarious they just didn't want to hit so they would load love them to one of the other shops or or they would just you know flat out say we're not fixing this car and and that was you know that was bullshit you know because you sometimes need those big hits to, to bolster your sales, you know, and, and, you know, anything over a certain dollar figure, they just like, we don't fix heavy wrecks at this shop. Who the fuck decided that you're, we're a body shop, dude. We have the equipment to do it and the training just because you don't want to do it. Doesn't mean we're not doing it. So, you know, we've stationed my dad there and guess what? Those cars weren't getting shipped off anymore. We were fixing them <laughs> right there. So, right. um, you know, and again, we we had different equipment at, at, at our Twinsburg shop. It was bigger. We had the opportunity to buy some of the equipment so we could do some of the full frame and the and the more technical wrecks because of the purse, but not every one of them. So again, that's kind of like an example of some of the stuff my dad did. He went and condensed the nonsense, you know. So 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 here you are. So you're you're about 10 years in, you achieve your vision, you sell the business, you're in your early 40s. You've achieved, you've achieved, you've achieved, Jeremy. What everybody kind of lays out is that American dream, and and you've got a couple of young kids. Are they getting older now? Are they are they ten and twelve now, or eleven and thirteen? Eleven and thirteen, yeah. All right. So and so they're constantly having to explain. Hey, how come your parents don't work? Right? You know, what do your parents do? Right. So here, here you are, you and Teresa both. 
used to 60, 70, 80, 100 hour weeks. And all of a sudden, you know, July of 21, all of a sudden you're, you're unemployed. Now, Teresa had another year, from what I recall, of kind of dealing with nonsense yeah. and kind of get, get stuff taken care of. But for you, here you go from, again, that intensity, to your point, all the stuff you had. You had, you had uh, how many employees did you guys have when you guys sold? Do you remember how, how many you had? High 40s, 46, 48, something like that. Oh, so I remember you guys approaching 50 because that, you know, there was that magic number. You know, yeah. So you have all these people, you know, all the stuff kind of going on. All of a sudden, the next, you know, so that was Friday. Monday comes up. It's like, hey, I don't have to go to work. Anyway. And it's like, so so what do you do, Jerry? You're two years into what? You know, you know what happens now? Well, tell people about what, what I, I hate to dis- I hate to disappoint everybody, but <laughs> you guys won't be surprised. But everybody, that's what everybody works for, right? Get to a point where you could retire and then just not do anything. Well, the problem is we didn't have like like a cool down cycle. I like to your point, I went from crazy, just crazy hours, nonstop stress to all of a sudden it's like done. And I, you know, you get conditioned to it. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, so it's surreal to not sound whatever, but for the first maybe six, eight months, and then even a year into it, it's kind of just weird. But then when you really get past that point, you're kind of like, well, fuck, you know, in a position where, you know, I don't have to work like a normal nine to five W2 job type thing, but that's all I kind of ever knew. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's, it's not bad. It's just different than what people would expect, you know? And I think, unfortunately, that's why guys that work till they're 65 within the first year, they drop dead, you know, because you have this whole regime you do most of your life. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, it's just like the pressure's gone, but then it's like, you still have to equalize. And that's kind of where, you know, where I'm at. You never put any effort into planning that. So, no, because you don't know when that day was going to come. You know, if I could have planned that for years in advance and, you exactly. know, it would have been a different story. Um, I just think it's just, it's not, it's not, it's not bad. It's just different than what you would expect. You know, everybody has these, you know, grand visions of I'm going to drink during the day and fuck around. I mean, dude, you still, I got you. Young a little kids. bit, but yeah, that goes fast. I don't fucking golf. I don't like the sun. Like I said, I turn red sitting in air conditioning. I'm not, you know, from the reflection from the window, I'm not, you know, I'm not a beach person. I mean, I, we, we did some vacationing and, you know, stuff like that. And, and with my kids being active in sports, I don't know how the fuck we did what we did when we were working. So but again, that's going to be short lived. So then it's like, well, next two, three years when they're in high school, when they're driving, then what, you know, am I just going to, you know, it's so, so, Maybe to answer your point, we didn't know what we were going to do with this building. Um, we ended up doing some renovations, um, some setbacks, but ultimately was able to put the shop back together. And I, the thing that I still enjoy is working on older cars. I still, you know, like working on um, classic type cars. And yeah, I, you know, it evolved my skill set evolved over the years from being a tech. You know, and and people don't give credit to like the tech side of it people don't give credit to the fact that you have to be able to weld you have to be able to identify different materials so there's all this like skill set that you develop as a technician and and a lot of times i like doing it i enjoy doing it and i was able to turn it into you know what would i what we did but i gotta get a drink but the issue is like that never left but you know so i gotta take a drink <laughs> 
so I was able to um, put this shop back together and kind of start putzing around with some older cars. And I got some stuff lined up. I have a non-compete. I don't want to do the collision side of it. I don't want to deal with insurance companies or, you know, customers indirectly, directly, whatever. Like most of these cars are my own projects and people that I've done work for in the past, just something to tinker around with. My, my motto is if you have a time frame and a budget, I'm not your guy, you know, cause I'm, <laughs> You know, I, I want it to be fun. I don't want it to be like work. You know, my dad will be able to give me a hand. You know, some guys that I used to work with, you know, just for some extra, you know, extra money for them and some extra help. Because sometimes the shit gets tedious and you need to get, part, you know, things over a certain finish line. But, um, you know, so the meantime, that's what I'm going to do. But, I mean, we still have real estate that, you know, we got to have a little bit of involvement. We have some other pro rental properties and stuff like that. But eh, it's fucking that doesn't occupy your time. I mean, it's maybe know, a couple hours a month. Well, and for the record, Jeremy's drinking water. We say he's getting a drink. He's not, he's, yeah, just so you guys know, yeah, he's not yeah. drinking today. At least, like, I don't even like drinking beer anymore. I feel like <laughs> shit for the next three days, you know? My wife tells me I should get and start taking some gummies to calm myself down. Because my problem <laughs> is, like, I, I still see so much asinine shit. And I, I know I... Remember you, Adam, had said to, to Teresa one time when you were trying to explain, you know, um, how I operated. Do you know how many times a day Jeremy asked himself, what the fuck? You know, <laughs> it's got to be 100 or more. And, and, and uh, so I definitely just can't. I wish I could just not be as I wish I could care less. You know, I guess I don't know. Well, it's 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 not easy. <clears throat> Very few people get to that level that you're at. So no, and, and you hear people <clears throat> talk and you know, oh, different parents at sporting events and just sit there. You're like, God, oh, Jesus Christ, <laughs> what the fuck's wrong with these people? Like, <laughs> you know, like they, you know, oh my boss makes all the money and I do all the work and all this shit. And you're like, you fucking have no idea, motherfucker. <laughs> So, so yeah, so you got, you have some time now, you know, what's nice about it is having, having the young kids, you get a chance to spend some time with them and, you know, you and Teresa can kind of rediscover each other in terms of, uh, going back to those first dates and stuff like that. But you're, you're a young man, you're a young man and you got a lot of uh, great experience, a lot of great knowledge. You're, you're probably one of the smarter people I've, I've ever met. You know, people look past me all the time. You, you, you're wearing a Carhartt shirt and it's torn and, and short. So people don't, don't even notice you, but. You know, you're a very smart guy and you see stuff. You're very good at seeing and connecting dots, right? So to me, it's just a question of, it's not it's not if he's going to do something next, it's a question of when, you know? So, so when does, and to your point, you know, you had a good year of rehabbing your building, you know? So, you know, turning yeah. a, a disaster, you could turn off into something that's good to get to rehab the building. That's, uh, you know, that's good, that's done. So yeah, there'll, there'll be stuff. And so as you're looking around and being open to stuff, you're going to find... You're gonna find things, but the, the beauty of it is you have you have the time and the and the ability to kind of do what makes sense. And if it's of interest yeah. to you and, and you like it, like you said, no need to apologize. And again, you grew up you grew up working on cars. You, you like doing it. So what the hell is wrong with that? If you if you're able to do it and also make a little money, that's okay. You know, well, that's not? what's hard for people yeah. to believe because <laughs> I don't think most people like their job. Right. They're like, right. so you sold your business just to go work on old cars. I'm like, <laughs> yes. Yes. I fucking like it. I like being able to swear. I like being able to say, ah, oh, fuck this car and go eat lunch and not come back to work. I like all that stuff. Like, what's wrong with that? Right. Like, and I work in <laughs> shitholes 
most of my early career and I tried to make the shops that we own the best that they could be. But now I got like the Ben says it's like the garage Mahal, the ultimate man cave. So, you know, I got all my shit here and, you know, I got, you know, some old cars and pictures of girls hanging up on the wall and all that shit. I mean, you know, what the fuck, you know what I'm Perfect. saying? It's all, it's, it's all right. It's all, it's, it's a lot of good stuff. And, it, you know, as you know, Jeremy, you know, Jack, I've been partners for 20 years and Jack's Jack's tried to retire twice. And he's, you know, he's, He's he's pushing eighty this year, and he's, he has no desire to quit until you know again because he, he he's having fun. People, most of his compatriots they, they've been long retired thinking you know they're busy at, at those Romeo meetings you know at Panera and McDonald's yeah, yeah, yeah. you know talk about shit and they're thinking they're, they're thinking he's crazy right, whereas he's thinking the exact so that's what happens like you know they think he's crazy he thinks they're crazy so it's like well okay well, who's right well that's why Jack's still spry and can do this shit because he has a right. purpose those fucking guys probably can barely get out of bed you know they do. That's it's, right. it's, just a, it's a terrible existence. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, it's, you know, Teresa went, Greg, our controller, started a company called Margin Authority. Um, it's an interesting company. There's definitely a niche. I think he's, you know, got a great product he's offering. I think maybe he met a, a little bit of, I think there was, I think, I don't know how to say it, but I think, I think he had an expectation that some of the clients that he had, worked with were a little bit farther along with their books. And as you guys know, that's probably one of the most overlooked things. You know, I had, I've read books over the years, you know, whatever the girl was good at making pies, but she wasn't an account, you know? So like you're good at the service, but you don't understand the importance of the surrounding stuff. And I think Greg found out, my wife definitely found out that you go into these places and you're like, Holy shit, this shit's a mess. So instead of him being able to do what his, job is officially he's got to do some exercise with the companies to get their information clean before he can officially help them but i think once they do get everything in order it's it's a really rewarding thing for him and there's definitely a need obviously you guys see the need as much you know more than anybody and then Teresa enjoys it because she does like helping people and you know she has a pretty vast experience with with our industry and her the industry she came from and you know, the accounting and the logistics background and just experience dealing with banks and international companies. So she, you know, and for her, it's like the perfect job because, you know, everybody always asks once we had this like really good team in place, you know, what does Teresa do? I'm like, she kind of does the special projects that nobody else really wants to do. And, you know, we got, we're not under heavy time constraints because Teresa kind of <laughs> works at works her own That's She right. gets That's the right. shit done. And when she's done, it's done. You're not going to stump her. So, right. Well, uh, uh, believe it or not, it's been two hours, Jeremy. Jesus it's, Christ! It's, right? it's been a very. It, it, it's always the Real case quick. when we spend well, time well, with you. We'll do this. We'll but, do this again well, with you. It's, it's a couple things. So, uh, Teresa, Teresa was invited, and Teresa wasn't ready to come on yet. But Teresa has an open invitation because we want to get her side of the story. Because we'd like to talk about you guys a couple more, you know, as well. <laughs> but before we we, we we let you go, is there anything else that you wanted to kind of share with the audience, or or you know, any kind of thoughts of stuff? Because you know, you've been a tremendous success for for uh for, for your life because you've been very coachable jeremy so it goes back to your, your early days you know in athletics but nothing that we've seen in terms of business and it isn't that you do whatever somebody tells you that you're gonna do but you you look for folks that had success you say okay well let me understand why and then okay take that very black white very straight like it i'm gonna do that let's make these things start to happen so you've always been very very coachable from that standpoint and so we certainly appreciate that because again whether it be even us trying to slow you down again you know again you're you, you you've, you've taken it well and, but you also do do it your own way. But anything else that, that that you wanted to share with our audience before we uh let you get back to your your busy day? Anything you want. 
<laughs> don't be a pussy. I mean, really. But <laughs> don't engage and do shit. Exactly. You know that that whole back to the the Latin, the acta non verba, actions, not words. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Because every person that you talk to that's the coulda, woulda, shouldas, or the guys that, you know, oh, man, if I would have just, no, fuck all that. You just have to do it. I mean, really, right. it, as, much, as much as it sucks, you know, um, there it is. Has its own, it has its own baggage where you're at. You know, you're, there's, yep. there's tens and thousands of doors open for you. And that in and of itself is daunting as hell. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's, you know, it's just like I said, don't, don't just don't get off your ass and get it done, you know. But so the last, so went to a college or a high school graduation for a family member and I thought my head was going to explode. Every person that spoke at this graduation, you know, from the superintendent to the principal to the assistant principal to the valedictorian to the salutatorian, all had like a very, live in the now life is, you know, should be a balance between fun and, and, and don't take things too serious. It was very centric around that message. And I'm sitting there thinking, look around, there's fucking 800 to a million dollar homes surrounding this facility. Do you think that the guy that showed up at work and gave half effort fucking could afford this shit? <laughs> the answer is fucking no. So if you want to continue the lifestyle that you've been afforded as a, as a child into young adulthood, Get off your fucking ass and you had the first 18 years of your life to fucking not take things too seriously. It's time to work and be a productive member of society and door dashing and Ubering isn't going to fucking get you into a house like that. So I'm picturing, I'm picturing Jeremy, the motivational speaker. All right. Coming in or like us kick you man, TLC consulting, come in there and tell you what's wrong with your ass and I'll try to help you fix it. Who was who, who was the character on SNL that Chris Farley did, or the guy living down by the river? He was. Oh, yeah. Remember that guy? He was. He was a motivational speaker, living in a van down by the river. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, but yeah. But yeah, the no, guy, uh, Rodney Dangerfield was uh, back, back to, to school. school. Yeah, yeah this, this philosophy: stay at home, don't go out. He was good. He, I, I that was a, that was a well. That movie's very fucking applicable. Anybody that's thinking about starting a business, whether or not you think it's too old to watch, you should because, like, when he's in there debating those those people from academia running the theoretical businesses, that's some of the the most real shit that's ever been put in a movie about business. Even though it wasn't really, I think, meant to be that way, but it is. <laughs> so. Well, excellent. Well, Jeremy, again, we we appreciate this is uh, uh, like you said, Jack. We'll call it now. This is Jeremy's first visit to our podcast, and we'll, we'll I think we'll have yeah. We talked to Ben about that too because when you and Ben and I had beers a few months ago, we talked about maybe you guys being on together. I want to get you guys on separately first, then we can maybe get you guys on, and it might be easier to get the two of you guys on before we get Teresa on. But we'll, we'll try. We'll, we'll probably Teresa once she sees you know what you guys say, and she's like, wait a minute, I have to correct the record here, kind of you know get a little different. <laughs> I remember it differently. Well, come on, come on in, you guys. Yeah, yeah. To kind of come on. Oh, she'll on. be very critical of this, but you know, that's all right. All right, <laughs> bring it on. So, we, but we, we, again, very very appreciative uh, with sharing just some of your story because it's so hard to kind of wrap this up into you know, even even a couple hours. But uh, uh, for our audience, um, if you like what you heard, uh, like I said, we have 
390 other episodes that, that aren't all interviews like this, but have good guidance and advice for, for running and growing your small business. You can get all those at our website, dirtysecretsofsmallbusiness.com. If you click on the episodes tab, you'll find a search bar there. You can put in whatever your question or search term is, and it'll feed back to you whatever shows we've done on that topic. If you don't find one that suits your needs, uh, shoot us an email at radio or ma at maximumvp.com or give us a call, 330-849-0670. Happy to answer the question for you directly. Or we can uh, do like we've done many times to put together a show to answer the question because chances are, if you have the question, somebody else does as well. They'll be happy to, that, that, that you asked it. So that's our show for today. I would appreciate you all being here. Again, thank you again, Jeremy, for being here with us today. And we'll talk with you all next week. It was fun. Thanks, guys.